0: Is as moonlight reflected on the water's surface. We already subsist within the current of causality. We who exist beyond the physical are still merely shadows on the water. Maybe you aren't a shadow on the water, but instead a fish that breaches water's surface.
1: Uh, are you gonna pitch shift that down?
0: I guess like, so. I, if this has been pitch shifted down heavily, then
1: then then I hope th- you're gonna keep up the entire podcast, <laughs> so <laughs> everything you say sounds more yeah portentous.
0: If you're hearing me now in pitch shifted mode, maybe that's already happened.
1: Skull Gareth, Gareth, I was gonna start this episode off by telling you I have a confession to make.
0: Oh no.
2: I was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I ruined your moment.
1: No, no, it's okay. Skull Knight shows up when when you least expect Skull Knight to show up. <laughs> uh, it's my fault. I looked over to some rocks and uh, there you were. Um, my name is not Reed McCarter. That's fake. That's not my name. I've been lying for years and years and years. Uh, it's a pen name. I was embarrassed of my family name, my given name. And now I think on this episode 13, lucky 13, I'm ready to unveil my actual legal name. Are you ready for me to share it? Please. My name's Magnifico Dovandinium. My name is Magnifico Dovandinium. Does that feel good to say? My name is Magnifico Dovandinium. That's my name. I will not go back to my fake name that I chose for pure anonymity. I am Magnifico. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um,
2: when... I got married to my partner and we took each other's names that we combined our name to make a new name. I actually had to change my name in advance of the wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my partner would take my name when they married me, my name being newly a combination of our names. And when I received the form that said, um, that said I could change the name, I did for a moment think I could write anything on this and my partner would... Have to take it when we got married, um and i if I'd known of the name Magnifico at that point, i may have i may have given in to the think of to the temptation,
1: yeah, if you were Gareth magnifico <laughs> <that> would, <laughs> think of how much better you magnifico career. Martin
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I like that better actually, I like that. Alliteration. It kind of sounds like a, a a Matt Berry character that he doesn't use, you know? Magnifico. Hi,
2: welcome to Idea of Evil. It's a Berserk podcast.
1: It's Magnifico. We
2: promise, we promise.
1: Magnifico is an important Berserk character. That's true, that's true. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do the thing. This is episode 13, like I said, of Idea of Evil it's a podcast about Berserk and the characters within, such as Magnifico Vo dinnium I think I'm messing it up at this point. Which um, is your name. This is Magnifico. This I'm is Magnifico. Gareth I'm martin And uh, yeah, this time we're covering uh, chapters 237 to 263. Proclaimed Omens to Demon Beast Invasion. Gareth... Wait, I don't... I'm just thinking about Magnifico. <laughs> you just... <laughs> I, got, I, got I can't Magn- think about anything else. I got Magnifico okay, I can, on
2: the mind. I can, I can kick this off. Because yeah. also, the reason... One of the reasons I wanted to do the Skull Knight thing that we mentioned from the the, the previous episode is because this episode has some really good early Skull Knight. This, this section. Because we have Shurka and... Which I still feel like I'm saying that wrong, but whatever. And Guts on the beach. And then we have some... Skull Knight exposition and the thing mm. I wanted to start by saying was just how much I prefer Skull Knight exposition to any other form of Berserk exposition because he just rocks up on the beach after, which is after a really sweet scene between Shurka and and Guts about what it means to be to have magic and to stay with other people and then the wonderful Skull Knight turns up and um he, he has he, he it's because he uses incredible imagery and obscure statements instead of actual exposition but he says this wonderful thing where he says that uh, griffith now exists i should i need to i'm gonna pitch this down
0: he now exists beyond the reason of the physical world where no one in the mortal realm can threaten him. It will be akin to someone in a story challenging the one who wrote it. It cannot be done.
2: Which I just fucking love. And also, considering all of this fairy tale stuff that Muir has been doing, where he's been kind of setting up this idea of Griffith as a figure of of fairy tales and legends and stories, I just love that Skull Knight just comes out and says it. He's just like, yeah... Griffith is being written like he and he is writing himself and he cannot be he cannot be challenged like he is controlling this entire situation as an author and I yeah I love it so much
1: it's uh yeah it makes you wonder it is one of those things too that's like you know that one way or the other Griffith and Guts will meet again at length and will try to kill one another most likely and it's like how do you position Guts, who <laughs> is become you know like we have like the shonen, the shonen mongo thing going on here, where Guts is so powerful, he's been shown just like killing everything, and he's Mira is doing this thing here where it's like a he's he's pumped Guts up, but he also draws him back a little bit at the same time with like this berserk armor stuff, which I think is really clever. And then also it's how do you position Griffith now? So he's more than any kind of Griffith that we've seen before. And it's like, yeah, no, he doesn't obey the laws of reality. He is, yeah, like <laughs> it's like trying to challenge the author of the story that you're a character in, um, which yeah. is it's just, just a great, like enormous thing. Part of me is like, it's not really going to turn out That way, it feels like one of those kind of overblown descriptors that you use. And then later on, you're like, shit, I don't know how to, how to walk that back enough.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's like the one I said at the start of this thing where he which is one of my other favorite images from Berserk, which is like, we're just shadows on the water, but you have to be like the fish that breaks the surface of the water. And it just, it sounds really cool. And especially like shadows on the surface of water, like cast by the moon is such an incredible image. But it doesn't. I'm not sure. Like any of that really holds <laughs> up as like a theological thing. But it's so much better than than having the witches be like. So here's the interstice, and the interstice is exactly here between these two places. Oh, yeah. And 100%. you know, it's like I much prefer to have these kind of oblique references to imagery. And yeah, so yeah, no, it's a, it's a good. And we get one key. The other key thing we get here, I guess, is that this big thing, which feels like to me, it felt like the final piece of this, like, reboot of Berserk that happens been happening over the course of these volumes, which has been pretty slow, but it's, like, the final piece slots into place, which is this bit where he's like, oh, and Casca might be able to not be crazy anymore. um, Which just feels like, oh, I know what you're doing. You know, like, immediately mm-hmm. Guts' motivation is just, like, locked in in a way that it wasn't. And I feel like it's been, that's kind of, I don't know, it's a bit messy, to, because Guts has already been going to the elf city to try to make Casca safe. But it's almost like Miura kind of realized that that didn't feel very strong or satisfying as an idea that like Guts was just like, well, let's go to the elf city because we've got nowhere else to go. Yeah. And that seems like a safe place to go and turned it into, oh no, that's the one place in the universe where Casca might come back to me. yeah. And I really like that because it it's also a very selfish goal on some level. Um, because it's about him and it's about his need for Casca to be Casca again. But also it's an it, it relates to the idea that Casca cannot be Casca again. That's kind of like what we obviously know, right? Like that's the dramatic irony here. That's like, yeah, that's obviously we're obviously you're not gonna get the past again. You're not that's not gonna happen and that's what haunts you. And so yeah, I really like the way that just kind of drops in and it just feels like, oh, okay, yeah, like we've got a pretty clear set of motivation here to, to to drive this thing on and to kind of contextualize the new Guts. And like you say, with the Berserker armor, we've also got this really nice, like, limiter on Guts um, that kind of, yeah, again, like, sets up a really strong paradigm here, which is the idea of be- Guts maintaining control on this quest.
1: Yeah, and there's, in terms of also sort of, like, archetypal stuff going on here, Skull Knight, is it in this part? I think it is. It's Skull Knight just sort of comes out and says, "Like, hey, that's my old armor that you're wearing." Yes, yeah, he does in a classic Skull Knight situation. <laughs> I don't know. He just if drops like, a bombshell. If I had a really cool shirt. <laughs> and some guy. Anyway, I don't. I don't think that that uh, metaphor would work really. Um, but uh, yeah, he's like, "Hey, check me out. I'm a Skull Knight. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't." if you don't uh if you keep wearing this stuff all the time and and uh going berserker mode you're you're gonna lose your humanity and become a, a guy who talks in bold font all the time <laughs> you <Yeah, laughs> will yeah. be cursed for that forevermore there's just like yeah i think that kind of also places guts like gives him a little bit of which I'm sort of of two minds about that like gives him like some kind of cosmological significance beyond just being the human who's so pissed off he can kill god you know it, yeah. it it does kind of place him more as like a but i don't know we also get the you know the the skull knight thing is also a larger question where he's been positioned now as both being sort of like griffith with that tower stuff with all the uh i think it was in it's the tower of rebirth or whatever, where it has that you know the the uh, torch falling down that that memorable bit with all the branded skulls and it's I think it's implied there that Skull Knight was a, a former king, sort of like yeah. pre like statehood midland. Yeah,
2: G- Gazeric
1: was his name. Sounds like a it sounds like a stomach medicine. It really does. Just take my Gazeric. Before I eat pizza, I mean everything
2: in Berserk sounds just a little bit weird. Um, Tinkazard from my guts,
1: yeah, but um, yeah,
2: he...
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, I kind of liked that. I like and I, I like guts being just a guy in a lot of ways, but I also, yeah, I do think I mean, there this... is something interesting with Skull Knight being sort of of Griffith and of guts at this point.
2: I mean, yeah, I think it also makes Skull Knight slightly more legible as a character and it creates a direct relation between Guts and Skull Knight, which has kind of been necessary because otherwise Skull Knight is just like the fairy godmother of the Berserk story. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that direct relation of the Berserker armor is helpful. But I do think at this point, Muir has been a bit sloppy with the number of prophecies that he's allowed to be said about Guts. And it, even he seems to have lost track of, like, who said what, because Skull Knight has been like, oh, you know, you might be the fish that breaks the surface, or you might not. And then other people have been like, oh, he's so incredible. He might not be a human. But then again, he's defined by being a human. And it feels like Mura can't ever really decide if he wants Guts to be superhuman or human, because that's kind of... Because at the end of the day, like like you say, the most compelling thing about Guts is his humanity. But Mura's always kind of like having to find ways to put him on the edge of superhuman. But I think the berserker armor does do a nice job of kind of on some level like formalizing that and also making it a very visual, like a very aesthetic um, narrative point so that Mura doesn't have to go to words as often as Mm -hmm. he needs Mm -hmm. to make this point about Guts being on the edge of humanity and, possibly becoming a monster and we even in this scene we have this great like guts as evil hoodie that like (laughs) crawls up his back and breathes on the back of his neck um and is like the top half of the mouth and we get a great like incredible some of my favorite imagery actually in berserk later on that connects to this idea of like the top half of the mouth of the wolf that's like crawling up his back Um, and there's a lovely panel where he guts is kind of just like staring straight ahead and the the mouth is kind of like it really feels like it's breathing down his neck very literally Mm -hmm. um and yeah you can all you can almost kind of feel the like hot breath of the uh, of the the berserk wolf like um breathing on him and making him freeze in place there as he edges towards like giving up so yeah i think i think that that way of like Narrativizing it into a physical object that exists in the story is something really nice.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, uh, I was going to say if if Guts is more man or Superman, you know, th- this is like, I don't fault Mira for not knowing, like, this is how schisms happen in early religions. Like, when you get the Messiah and then you have to, is he like the Son of God, meaning like man, or is he, uh, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, no, it's the
2: can. it's the the it's Jesus like coming back from the dead, right? It's like that moment is like the key theological moment in the yeah. Bible that where Jesus goes from being a prophet to being a god. And it's like in a sense like a not to get too theological here, but it's like a, necess- a moment of necessity for his followers that he should continue. Yeah, that's and, like- it, and it and it like implicates the it creates an entire religion around the idea that this person who we we pretty much know was a real human being right died and an entire religion is born of the idea of his the the necessity of that character that person to continue um like that is the moment that that christianity is is created and I think, yeah, it's like that kind of need for things to become to ascend, like to not just be human. Because if they're just human, then what what can we do with them? Like they're somehow um, they're somehow failed or like flawed. So they things that are powerful must ascend.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was being a bit of a, a a weenie too, but I I do think that is like <laughs> the actual. You know, that that is the, the question here as well that I don't think Mira has the answer to at this point, at least, is, is in the in the scope of all of this, in and like we said before, about you know, if, if Berserk is essentially a look at the idea of evil mm. in a in a larger, ding, ding, like, ding. <laughs> broader sense, then what can one person and Let's not drift into the fascism conversation, <laughs> right here. but but sort of like you know what? You How good... can
2: one person beat up a pack of wolves?
1: Listen, that's why you have to do it like Twin Peaks style, where you examine evil, and it's never about one guy; it's about a community. Maybe it's not that
2: that one guy called Dave or yeah. Griffith
1: or, or Griffith. Um, but yeah, you you do end up with this thing where. I, I think he he does you know it's the struggler thing too of of how much abuse can this man take and is that at a certain point like superhuman and is his will to continue enduring so much like superhuman or is it essentially human and that is you know that's that's like the heart of Christianity really is this yeah, question yeah. Well, of, and, of, yeah. of who Christ is and you also you know you get that in in Buddhism as well with you know Siddhartha Gautama yes. becomes the Buddha and uh absolutely islam in in a different respect with uh prophet muhammad and you know it's it's a big human question of of does this thing that transcends our kind of nature is it part of our nature or is it elevated beyond us does it have to be something more than us or i don't know it's it's an eternal question right like
2: yeah. Yeah, and I think no, I mean to 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 continue with my <laughs> my sudden theological turn, but the it's true that that's we get that with Griffith and the eclipse, right? It's like that moment of schism between um the supernatural and the natural or like in berserk the supernatural and the natural are connected. So like the human and the supernatural is really the paradigm here but that it's it's at that point where the followers of griffith like pull him out of the tomb right like he's taken out of the tomb and he's brought he's brought out and they want him to continue to exist because griffith is so powerful and then in that moment the sacrifice is made and griffith you know causes the eclipse and from that point on griffith is now this uh, the author of the story like griffith is now outside of the human totally he's ascended completely from any kind of humanity um and has become like the 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 god figure for this and so guts is yeah is like the leftovers of that he's some kind of residual and that is that is kind of what the mark is right as well like the mark and the um and just generally how guts is talked about is he's like this because of the eclipse he's like got some kind of reflected Uh, his supernatural qualities are some kind of residual thing that's been left over from being part of the process of making a god like god was made and he just happened to be there and somehow he lived and because he lived through that he's he's now something that nobody's really sure what
1: that is right which functions on like two levels too where you have the literal thing too where the, the brand starts bleeding and you know (laughs) <laughs> the monster radar, but also the monsters for him, right? <laughs> they they always want to take him back. And then, you know, the very obvious like metaphorical layer of the brand is is like literalized trauma, right? It's it's marked on on everyone who experienced what Griffith did to them. Uh psychically, it, it also becomes something that's actually on them. And then, you know, it's it's so it's the same kind of thing. It's like, well is he exceptional for having lived or is he exceptional because he lived, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's like really thorny. And I think that might end up being one of the kind of like key questions at the end of all of this, Um, which whatever we're getting closer to the end. So it makes it also more difficult to say uh, how, how that will kind of be conveyed.
2: But we get the feeling that it's not gonna, we're not gonna come up with an, a, an answer at the end, right? Like, that's no. the, the part, obvious implication.
1: Part, part of me thinks that, like, the eclipse is, in some ways, like a creator as a young person who is like, feels invincible, even though it's like you can go through hell and come out of it, even though it's the worst possible thing that, you know, say, Mirror can can conjure up and put on a page. Is like this kind of almost youthful idea of now you can just be strong as fuck and just you know get through anything mm-hmm. uh f- physical violence and, and mental breakdown and, and everything and part of me wonders if there's like almost this like semi-agnostic kind of like spirituality that's that's creeps into berserk in certain ways of of the way that like this like superhuman power is not necessarily always this evil thing, but it's also like this very literally like superhuman human uh, element. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. It's, it's like, I don't know. That, that's yeah. a lot of the stuff that I, I find that there's so much like just in the blanket sense, like spiritual stuff going on in, in sort of, that like the conviction stuff made me think was very sort of teenage angsty and even though I liked it, um, yeah, you, you feel more of this like broader kind of like anguish and questioning in kind of how he thinks about humanity and sort of like metaphysical stuff and
2: yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also notable what you're bringing to my mind as well is like how much guts seems to have aged here in this sequences that we're now in like mm-hmm. in a way that's kind of like at the speed muro is aging as opposed to at the speed that other characters are aging right like other characters and like isidro is still isidro serpico is still serpico they uh, serpico's changed a bit but i wouldn't say he's necessarily aged but guts is aging very rapidly at he this point
1: like the dad yeah he's become
2: this kind of and he's also become intensely nostalgic during this sequence like during this this set of of kind of i know like six volumes or whatever in this half of the series that we've been doing um he's he's obsessed with this like band of the hawk and he's like continually going back to those images and he's thinking again of like the glory days um and it's like even his like current battles are like framed by him saying like oh it's been a while since i've had a chance to chop some dudes right like (laughs) he feels like uh like he's he's a dad and he's like oh it's been a while since i've you know had a chance to play rugby or you know like he's kind of (laughs) getting his form back or like remembering the the things he can do and it's yeah there's just something really interesting about how different guts is at this point and how he's kind of like Quiet kindness, and like we have this scene with Shurka here, where he's just he just has this very particular quality of kind of being yeah it's being wise, but in a very like understated kind of reassuring way. Like I actually would love to sit on a beach with guts and like talk about my life at this point, right? But that's quite far from the guts that was like. (laughs) You should take to the, to the, I forget her name, but to that girl where he's like, take that knife and kill yourself because you're a worthless, like, little yeah. runt, yeah. you know? Like, we're really far away from that now. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's Mura. It's impo- it's impossible not to feel that that is Mura kind of it is. growing it's... up.
1: And to me, part of me would be like, well, it's, this character is not necessarily moving in a way that kind of earns this because i keep thinking about this whenever you get these segments where these little sequences where he's like very kind and yeah i I think i might have said on the last one but it in berserk you'd almost expect more of there to be like three chapters where something very specific happens to guts where then he you know we're getting his inner monologue and he's uh talking about you know his feelings and then he kind of becomes a little bit different But Guts also, I think we get a little bit more benefit of the doubt that we've been with this guy for so long that you can kind of you can kind of read more into what he's doing without it having to be explicitly said. And I think it's it's I think it's the whole thing with, you know, this this part that really came to the forefront with him worrying about kind of losing himself to uh, now that he kind of has people around him who he cares about. And, you know, and that's part of what the conviction the whole conviction arc was, was him, like, getting Casca back and being like it was stupid to leave her. Um, you know, yeah. which also is maybe a, a bit of a... Uh, works on another level, too, with what the story tried to do with her. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I think it it does work as both... You can definitely feel that this is an older person writing this who has mellowed in some ways or is in some ways. Um, But also that it does, I think it does feel earned for the character in as much as he is now thinking about, I think kind of like death and death in like a sense beyond just like, yeah, I'll just like get stabbed by some monster or enemy knight or something. He's more thinking of death in terms of like oblivion and kind of like what he, cares about beyond just killing someone you know
2: um yeah he's thinking about legacy right like he's thinking about and i think there's some interesting stuff that happens in the section to do with like his relationship to his legacy that i guess we'll get to but yeah and we also get into this just as a you know to follow this scene um Mm. is we get moonlight boy turning up as well and we get this kind of really interesting little tableau where Moonlight Boy like falls out of, like Guts tries to get Moonlight Boy off his shoulder and Moonlight Boy falls and Casca and Guts go both go to catch Moonlight Boy and then we have this great panel of them kind of like halt, like trying to keep Moonlight Boy off the ground. Um and i think it goes a bit far by like having Shurka be like a family or or uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. um isidro says it's like a family sort of it's like we don't need that because the image is just really nice yeah yeah but there's something about the way guts is in that image as well is he looks terrified like he's he's kind of terrified about this child falling like what is, like, a foot to the ground or whatever, you know? It's not, like, it's above a pile of knives, but I don't think there's, like, a huge risk here. But it's it's just really interesting to see that, like, he's being his kind of grumpy self of, like, he doesn't want the kid to bother him, but then actually, like, in that moment of the kid falling, he's, like, desperately trying to keep them off the ground. Um, And I don't know. It just, yeah, it really, to me, spoke to, like, a kind of, especially with him, like, in his kind of, super pointy berserker armor at that point as well <laughs> there's like a real strong visual tension around him being literally like a kind of living weapon but then also being like a human inside a living weapon Um that I thought was yeah was kind of elegant
1: I yeah I think the the armor and the shock of white hair is great for guts at this point there uh, aside from there's some stuff just like action scenes later on in this part that there were a few times where I was just like, this armor looks sweet. Just like even when it's um you know hood down, hoodie down. Um yeah. and he's just fighting normally. It just changes his silhouettes like a little bit slimmer while still keeping him like big and, you know, sort of tank like and everything. Um but it also works well in terms of you do have this kinder or like you were saying like he's he's a human in this armor and i think like the the white hair and i think like his scars you see a lot more of his scars all the time now you do get like these constant visual uh reinforcements of the idea that like this guy is like yeah he's he's a lot more of a human being underneath this armor which i think in that in the sort of between the eclipse and and the berserker armor stuff you more so just had him like oh you can just do whatever to this guy and he maybe needs to lie up for like a week and then he's fine and and now we more have like this constant representation of him being a person you know
2: yeah yeah totally
1: that works um kind of ties into what we were talking about before too with that like the armor kind of being like superhuman in a sense and him being inside of it blah
2: blah blah yeah um but But oh sorry (laughs) no i just we probably want to make exactly the same link unless you're going for more reflective stuff because i was just going to talk about this panel of a crocodile looking through a door
1: (laughs) no i wasn't i had one point before we get to these these crocodiles (laughs) it's
2: just that one panel i mean
1: (laughs) there's some good panels with these crocodiles that when I was reading this. I was like, "Yeah, I think you'll appreciate these <laughs> some, of the, <laughs> some of the way that these guys rock up to places with their with their harpoons." With the Just hop-ons. a bunch of boys out in the town. Um, Moonlight boy. Yeah. Aside from being one of Frank Zappa's children, but um, what's the deal with him in your reading of it? No, I don't know. Yeah.
2: I haven't got a read. Yeah. I mean,
1: cause he, he, he's the fetus who was crawling around. Yeah. Before.
2: I mean, that's what, that, that's what the that manga, like I was kind of disappointed by like how fast the manga goes to that. It's mm-hmm. like the last I caught sight of him was at the tower of conviction. And then, but then guts is like, he must be still wandering around alone somewhere in the night. So then I was like, Oh, guts is actually thinking of his true son when he's seeing Moonlight Boy. So then I was like, oh, maybe he's just just a kid, some other character. Cause Muir is introducing new characters like crazy at this point. Um mm-hmm. so I don't know. I might I'm I'm my jury's out. And my bet is he's actually something else. And he's more there to evoke something in guts as opposed to literally be the child of Griffith and Casca. And somehow guts like guts is somehow the third member of that of that parenting of a child of that um,
1: polycule? Yeah, of that that cool Actually, spider no, dude. That's not that's not good. That, i was just thinking of the circumstances of that child. <laughs> I retract the. Um, is the implication as well that guts and Casca? She became pregnant after they, like, lost their virginity to each other.
3: <laughs>
2: well, the implication... special... Yeah.
1: Or, no, I guess they were together for a decent while after that. But the... then...
2: Well, no, they went straight because you have all that stuff of Guts being, like, a really cute teenager and being like, is Casca holding my hand because she loves me? Um, as they go to the tower, uh, the, the, like, tower of... Right. I forget what it's called. The upside down tower that goes into hell where Griffith is um the yeah like he's really so that's quite soon after i think they have sex so it's i think the implication is more that it's like the child of the eclipse right yeah that it's like the child yeah. of the rape but then there's also something weird going on in the sense that like it's also potentially guts's child that's previously implied that somehow that all of them are the parents like all three of them are the parent um
1: I think that was what I that's always
2: been my reading, anyway. That it's like, or that Guts is unclear about whether or not it's his or Griffith's child.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm kind of especially with
2: having one eye. Um, Oh, yeah. Kind of one eyed nature of the child.
1: There, there's also the way this kid is drawn is very like ambiguous, especially there are these, it's where I have it open to right now, and there's you know, a panel of, of Casca sitting with Moonlight Boy and kind of holding him in like her cloak on the beach. And, you know, her face, her head is above his head because he's like nestled under her chin and their faces, I think are very on purpose meant to be very reminiscent of one another, but you know, it's also, it's stylized. It's a cartoon. So, but he has like, you know, this very black hair, but then the hair is long and, uh, you know, this kind of like the androgyny to the kid that like maybe think makes you think of Griffith. And I think it's very on purpose to just be, that's kind of what I was getting from it.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a kind of, it's true. There is a kind of Griffith Casca combo to Moonlight Boy.
1: Like, but you could get guts out of him too, with that like super black hair, but I guess Casca is super black hair too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And with the, also like the kind of starting image of, him, this kind of like naked angelic pose yeah. as well that feels very Griffith. Obviously, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm very curious to see where that's going to go because it kind of gets Moonlight Boy just kind of gets dumped after that for the rest of this bit. Get out of here, Moonlight um, Boy! But that's here. because there's that's because there's these sick crocodiles rocking up. Um,
1: yeah. You know, Do you know those? This is one thing, and we don't have to get into this. You know that a woman, even reduced to whatever Casca's mental state is, instinctively wants to be a mother, and a man does not.
2: Stop it, Reed.
1: Did you notice that, though? It's just. Yeah, anyway. she
2: literally doesn't have a mind, and yet her urge to care and to raise a child is innate.
1: The conscious. Ma- the man of the species does not have such urges however the woman i don't know an, about that guts is inn- innately is, guts, maternal
2: you say that but guts tries to catch the the child before he drops them on the knives so you know that seems kind of <laughs> parent like that is it's very <laughs> it's potential. a low standard
1: <laughs> i knew that's when i was uh, had to be a father when i saved a baby from dropping into <laughs> off a skyscraper <laughs>
2: No, when, no. When, let's be accurate. When I saved a baby from dropping that baby onto the knives that I was cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, onto my Yeah, onto my
1: display of newly cleaned knives.
2: Anyway, Reed, stop blocking me from talking about these, these crocodiles. There's a great panel where the crocodile kicks in the door and <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's up there with the, the elephant man coming around the corner. But then I love... There's just this wonderful moment where Serpico says... It's a crocodile, because Isidro has never seen a crocodile before. And then mm-hmm. the crocodile stands up and bumps its head on the roof in, like, a wonderfully absurd panel. It's very um, good. And then, <laughs> then Isidro says, It stood up! Crocodiles are crazy! <laughs> Which is just... <laughs> I love so much. And then in, in little text we get, It's got a damn harpoon, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which These- is just... It's so good.
1: These crocs, they're good. I love. I like that they they are crocodiles, yet they have a harpoon as well, which yeah, is the only only thing that makes a crocodile deadlier.
2: <laughs> that's because they're oceanic crocodiles. They came out of the sea, so they've got harpoons. There's a right, kind of logic right, right, there right. that's that's working. Yeah, because crocs are real saltwater
1: alligators wouldn't have a harpoon.
2: Yeah, no, they're they're real like. Harryhausen type, yeah, 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 bad guys, right? They have this real claymation kind yeah. of awkwardness to their animation. I love that. I don't know if you noticed, but because they've got harpoons, they've also quite like delicately got the like s- the rope of the harpoon yes. knotted around their wrist. I was gonna. <laughs> this,
1: that's like, what I was gonna point out next is that it's like a surfer, right? With, yeah, it's yeah, like with a like fear. a
2: little safety cord.
3: <laughs> so- <laughs>
1: Or it's like so a latchkey
2: kid, you know. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't let them out without that. They're always. It's it's almost like they were like they're always losing their harpoons if you don't like <laughs> tie them to them. But yeah, the one the one standing up. Which I don't know if I, I really don't know if this is a a noise in Japanese, but I've noticed it's used a lot in Berserk, which is loo is loom? like it's translated as loom, and I love how often monsters and people loom in berserk and this like yeah. croc that stands up and looms over everybody but also bashes its head on the roof is like yeah it's so good and they all come out and they is... all start throwing the harpoons through the door it's yeah it's wonderful
1: <laughs> that well there's a good example right here too and like right next to the the panel of <laughs> the crocodile hitting its head on the roof it also kind of looks to one side and you get the glance sound effect, which there's like a, a kind of, that I don't think are meant to be read quite as much as sound effects. It's like a really interesting, I, I don't think there's like an English like comics uh, parallel where the sound yeah. effects, it, it's interesting because I think just the way that like sound effects are kind of used in mangas. like, I don't know. The, the, yeah. There's something about like placement of them that seems like you can kind of sneak them in a little less obtrusively than maybe that's just like a, a an artistic tradition.
2: Yeah, there's definitely probably there's some people like headbutting their whatever they're listening oh, yeah. to this podcast yeah. on. That's right why now, I'm because there's like an so an entire
1: history of,
2: of this. But yeah, no, I de- there's definitely a difference in terms of you're right in terms of like these these like descriptive terms that are used to describe like action as opposed to use to describe a sound effect that it, that yeah you don't you don't necessarily see in in western comics and do seem to be a feature here. I do think generally like I feel like there's a whole I could go all the way back through Berserk now and start talking about actually the different sound effects that yeah, Mura uses because Mura actually uses like quite unusual sound effects in the sense that it often feels like they're very loud noises, but when you read the translations, it's a, they're often quite like they're often about details and like even here like they've got there's like the foot of the the alligator and it's the sound is bish which i really love like it's such a like a wet alligator foot right or crocodile foot it's such a kind of like and it's so yeah there's like a certain specificity i think to some of the sounds that i really love um that's like often they're quite kind of whispery or quiet or kind of like subtle as opposed to being like big kind of
1: boom sound effects. Yeah. Um, I, I always notice those ones, like you kind of get used to the the rhythm of how they're used to like when we, when we get the crocodiles coming up the beach and you just see a tail at this point, is going through the sand and Oh, I guess kind of the surf too, but it just says Ziff and it's like, Oh no, I can hear that. It's a crocodile tail sliding through yeah, sand. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's very evocative. Um there there are a lot of good ones that add so much. I think like his rain sound effects and um in this one we get ocean sounds a lot uh in, mm. in this section, which I think are really the way that he writes the sound effects for the sounds of like um the tide coming in, right? Like it you just you feel it, it's really good. Um crocodiles i love this panel and Harryhausen was the right call where when they're just being introduced and you see like you know seven of them or something or eight of them coming up and they're like in formation yeah but they're crocodiles but they're also like holding spears so they kind of look like soldiers (laughs) and yeah there's something i i really like them they like a similar itch to me as like skeletons with swords you know
3: yeah
2: yeah definitely yeah and we get some now and we also get some great panels of them being diced including one double spread of uh, guts doing like a big baseball slice with two hands um straight through three of them which is a yeah it's just like a classic berserk panel really like we've seen so many of them to this point but it's still such a good one
1: they're so good there's he i think mirror again was like we got to give him some some enemies that go down in one good hit. Uh, yeah, because because we get these. Uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we get some enchanted tigers later who also love to just run up to him and just like three or four at a time just get sliced right through. Um, and yeah, it yeah, just, it doesn't get old those those like two page those two page spreads of him just yeah doing the baseball slugger yeah. stance.
2: And in a way I kind of prefer those to what we what we get after. like the crocodiles are so much more fun than I don't I'm this kind of like wild so the fight continues and this wild elephant whale <laughs> fish turns up Serpico does some cool stuff as well we get lots more like cool Serpico wind stuff um which are, yeah I really enjoy um that he has his own vibe and his own kind of combat style but yeah, we get this like ridiculous whale that looks kind of like the sea creature that you'd find drawn on a medieval map of the ocean. It's mm-hmm. like totally non-literal and actually in comparison to the crocodiles or the kelpie or whatever, it's very kind of anatomically loose. It's it doesn't really feel like anything in particular, right? It's just kind of like it has those weird bent teeth that that he's pulled from from like Kali, like Kali demon statues mm-hmm. um from like north india i think they are um and then it has the An elephant like trunk this and... this elephant trunk but yeah it's it's very it's a very big silly looking thing um that makes a lot of sense this
1: it... is kind of the i mean we see later that this thing has been sort of enchanted in some way and it it's a whale that's been messed with and that yeah, because does... it goes back to to being yeah. a whale, right? Yeah, and that does kind of tie together, like the yeah, like the margins on on old maps of you know, kind of the here there be dragons of the sea, and you have these strange like leviathans in the sense of we don't actually know what the fuck a whale is. Yeah, <laughs> when, when we were drawing this thing, it just seemed like a strange creature. It's true, and almost.
2: I mean there's a delicate I think I'll get into it more later as well but like there's this delicate balance here that's happening as well where like that is a kind of form of orientalism on some level right like this this kind of weird drawings of rhinos and whales and elephants um in history come from western artists doing like going and I don't know if you've ever seen there's in the in London in the the V&A museum there's like the first ever kind of drawing of a rhino by a western artist and it's totally absurd it looks like a berserk monster it's like Mm -hmm. armor plated but what they've interpreted that as is like medieval knight armor so they've kind of like turned it into an armor wearing creature and it's yeah it's like obviously drawn from mostly like description by people as opposed to actually seeing the creature Mm -hmm. and i think there's a kind of history of of orientalism to the idea of like poorly described creatures And we get a lot of that here and with the tigers later on. And I I feel like I go both ways on it because we, of course, get some more, like, Kushan nonsense um, in terms of, like, um, Mura just, like, phoning it in with some Eastern stereotypes. But the use of the creatures kind of feels interesting to me, like the use of, kind of, tigers. And especially because we're about to go into a context where actually the Kushans start to become complicated we start to see them as like an oppressed class of slaves in a medieval city of aristocrats and that then medieval city of aristocrats gets like it's it's comeuppance when the kind of tigers who are a symbol of those slaves um like invade the city and start tearing the the aristocrats apart and I think like that's I found that really fun and interesting and and felt like it was really engaged in the same way that some of this feels kind of like, I don't know, I I, I really go back and forth on how I feel about the kind of crocodiles and the elephant imagery in terms of it being a kind of like cliche of Indian aesthetics but also then it yeah, yeah, once we introduce the the kind of western aristocrats as a force I think it starts to become vaguely more interesting and and feels like it has a point
1: yeah, I mean the, like the obvious thing is especially when you get to the tigers and it's like okay you have crocodiles and tigers and elephants and yeah the, this sense of like well these are because it's not like you could just have like a bear or something right that would be too non-specific um, these have to be the animals that kind of like classically like come to mind with uh, with this area as like exotic but part of the, like, yeah, the teeth, I think, are the thing. sort of the, the outward-facing teeth, or they're kind of, like, scooped. And I think with the tigers, you get this very, uh, I guess the whale, you really have it, too. Like, their eyes are, um, I I think, the, though, kind of, like, meant to more so be, like, hey, if these creatures from these different, um kind of traditions are coming to life it's like if so much of berserk is well here's this sort of deeply christian infused and then we get some sort of like pagan like pan-european western european pagan stuff um but it's you know like a lot of the hell imagery specifically is is really drawn from you know like we said like bosch and like dore and uh we we get these Ideas, then it's like, well, if you're just sort of making these things come to life, then they should sort of come to life through our actual historical art tradition in a sense. So it's like, you know, the tigers, maybe they should look like this with some of the aspects of, uh, you know, say Indian art from a specific region, a specific time that that Mira is using as reference. And same with the whale. I, Yeah, now I'm kind of going back and forth too. Like I, yeah. it reads to me, that to me reads more as like sort of homage to, uh, and,
2: and, and so much of Berserk. Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think there's a, there is a good intentioned element to it in the sense that Muir is trying to engage with this aesthetic that he clearly finds compelling, right? Like the the Kali teeth are like a specific kind of Hindu, um thing that you find like that the representations of like the 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 you you'll find that again and again and so there's obviously and i did look i did look up the kushan and the kushan is a real empire interestingly enough Hmm. um so it's not the ottomans in the sense that it is very much a north um a north indian and i mean not really specifically just north india because it stretches also into china and so it's this kind of like specific group that I think probably again, like with Skellig, like Muir is just taking the name, right. He's not trying to represent them. He's just like, he found a name he likes in, in history that kind of vaguely fits in the zone. Like, you know, like, like Midland, right. Because that's also like a a real thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like Wyndham is a real place, right? Like I've, I've been through Wyndham on a train, but um, the, the, like, yeah, there, there are, yeah, I think there is a there is a way to read it, but it, it, maybe we'll get to it later because I think there's a really specific moment. I keep saying that. Sorry if that's annoying for people listening to this podcast. But there's a very specific moment where I think the the whole thing turns, and, and I think that's kind of like in the later stuff with the aristocracy and the tigers. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe we can shelve it for now. Yeah, um, we
1: we had to get back to that though because that is. Yeah, no,
2: I really want to. I think there's a massive, but there's a massive set of imagery there in the final part of this sequence. Um, Yeah. But the one thing I did want to touch before we got out of this section um, is this incredible transformation scene where Guts is fighting the the big whale elephant and he gets smashed against a rock and then he finally gives in to the berserker armor and the Mm. hood like climbs up his back and then like bites down on his head. And yep. closes like swallows him, and I just—it's in that I—I I love that Mura's held it back for this long, that like, that the what the Berserker armor is is like guts gets eaten by it, like he's literally swallowed by the beast. Yep. Um, in this like, yeah, just like incredible imagery, and then it kind of like bites down, and then like some kind of mad flames like fling out of it, and then of course, and then we once again get this like pose that's clearly. Mura has decided is like the fighting pose of the, um, of the berserker armor, which is like this crouched pose with like the sword being thrust down, um, between his legs, and it's like yeah, and then once again he's eaten, he he jumps in this time he he jumps inside the mouth of the whale and cuts it out from the inside, but again that's like the signature thing, it's, and there's that's... just a whole set of drawings of the berserker armor here that are just so incredibly cool.
1: It's a uh yeah that's aside from the fact that it makes him fight and he's like so quick and everything that's the real hidden power is you can get eaten by something and then just pop out of it through the stomach yeah uh there there's some good i like the the uh when i kind of like first flipped it, i was like oh no i don't need more of this of the kind of depictions of his mental struggle to hold on to himself guts to hold on to his humanity while he's you know sort of fighting in the berserker armor but i really like this stuff here especially there's there are these panels where it's just you see you know the outside of the, the berserker armor and then you see guts his eye like just sort of his eye and it's wide and frightened in a way that you never really see guts um and and great stuff like him yeah he's he's looking out at the sea at night and it's just you know it
2: it... yeah we get we get that really nice shot of him like small actually against the sea right which is kind of weird
1: it's cool and because then he yeah he sees and the next thing he says uh that he kind of pictures himself being sucked down into the abyss uh visualized as it draws me down to the deep seabed a booming like a roar which is this great like abyssal kind of description and and like both in words and in visuals of that actually part of him succumbing to the berserker armor and kind of losing himself is like the is succumbing to like a a depth of hate and anger and like fear and rage and all this stuff that is as enormous as descending to the bottom of the ocean at night. You know, which is like, yeah, one of those images that kind of makes something twinge in your stomach.
2: No, totally. And we get this amazing also like these. One thing I really love is like these absurd crocodile demons when he's inside the berserker armor become like horrifying infinite teeth.
3: Yeah, yeah. And they're actually
2: yeah. I, I like this implication that like they're actually scarier when he's got the berserker armor on and that part of how the berserker armor operates is it makes him more afraid it, he, he's absolutely terrified by these creatures that he's like murdering and that's why he's murdering them even more like aggressively because of fear rather than because mm-hmm. he feels powerful and they seem small like he's totally you know he he's staring at these kind of like gaping moors that surround him constantly and that's all he can do is like to just kill and kill and kill because he's scared um and i think yeah it's a again it's like a really interesting and again like once you know pushes away again from that kind of like fascist type accruing of power mode of berserk and yeah, I... I think like goes again back to this yeah this like very human like hu- the human basis for violence right the so like the the berserker armor which represents like this extreme level of violence that is is like in a way like breaks reality it's so violent is actually like a, a manifestation of fear i think uh it's very cool. yeah
1: and it it functions like a few ways with that as well where it drives home this you know the, he's like kind of wolf-like in this and he's very animalistic right he's he's not human in the way he's moving and i think you do end up getting uh, like is really sharp the idea of like pushing back against some of the fascist imagery and it's interesting here too and we get another wolf right um but you get yeah. the idea that this this kind of if if you want to read guts as kind of like a a fascist like hero of overcoming all odds through like sheer strength of will and and violent power and then this is kind of saying and and kind of scooping back to the early images of guts being a little boy who is terrified of everything um and Goes out and fights as hard as he can because he's terrified and he wants and that's the only way he can see to prove himself is this idea that his incredible martial power is actually just him being terrified and it reminds you of things like well partially yeah his reaction to the eclipse is terror and that that's defined him right and he set out to you know you have those those moments where he kind of gives you like a Bruce Campbell one-liner. But mostly he's like he is operating out of like a basic fear, like you gotta do this, you gotta kill these things. Um I don't know, it's really good. It it's a and the wide eye on him and kind of equating him to a scared animal that's mauling everything around him because it just sees danger everywhere and it just wants to be left alone. You know, it's it's this idea that violence is actually like really pathetic you know that it's it's really like sort of sub uh like intellectual in in, in the sense of like rationale like it, it's yeah, something yeah. that that you're just doing because you're terrified you know yeah um, although it is
2: it is it is pretty impressive when you like chop an entire crocodile in half perfectly
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that's one thing it so it's pathetic in some ways, but then sometimes it's can, also pretty sick. Yeah. You can he does that to tigers too. He does some He neat, does. He does a lot of bisecting of things. It's, the Dragon Slayer is a pretty Is that what it's called? The Dragon Slayer?
2: Yeah, no, you're right. It is, yeah. I'm proud of Yeah. Inver- memory there. The but the the other thing I wanted to point out before we move on from this one as well is like I love the way in which Muir is very confident with his art at this point. To the point where he's willing to not be pick, not be fussy about this. Like his way of representing violence with the berserker armor changes because he starts to get kind of messy and heavy. Like he's he's like you can almost feel the the like nib of his uh, mm-hmm. his pen snapping as he tries to put too much force into the line work here. Like there's this one panel of of like the berserker armor kind of crunched over and its mouth like opening at the top and it's kind of like squished into the frame. Um, and it's covered in blood, but rather than go for the kind of specificity of gore that sometimes berserk likes to have in it, it's instead this kind of generalized gore, right? Where it's not about like, Oh, look at this very precise drawing of someone's eye popping out of their head. It's much more like, what does violence feel like? Um, and Muir's really like going heavy with his his like his brushwork to the point where like um, the berserker armor is almost like during these sequences is drawn totally differently to all the other characters like it's, it's he's using different tools here he's he's using like different techniques to the way in which he draws even the crocodiles and there's this really nice image of um of the berserker armor kind of like hunched over uh, amid a, a load of croc- like piles of crocodile bodies and the crocodile bodies are described quite specifically with the kind of like precision that you'd usually expect from Mura but then the, the berserker armor is like so much heavier and blacker than anything else in the scene mm-hmm. and it's just such a yeah it's such a, a strong and confident way of um of telling the story here about the berserker armor also becoming increasingly scary for everybody around guts and standing out and kind of like having this presence that's beyond human um and that that's expressed through like the the actual techniques and tools of the art i think is is really really cool
1: yeah that's a really good point like there's i've noticed before it's almost like a sometimes you almost get this like charcoal kind of effect which i'm sure it's actually ink right but
0: yeah I
2: think it's a i think it's a brush although he's using a mix- yeah at this point I think he's using a mix of of things
1: um but yeah there is this yeah. like kind of bold messiness to some of it that yeah that that panel is i know we shouldn't probably shout out panels if most people don't listen to podcasts with berserk open in front of them, which is the only way to listen to podcasts of all kinds <laughs> yeah but yeah they' doing it wrong. <laughs> The one you're pointing out with him above those crocodiles and the, the like fine line work on the crocodiles versus him. Um, yeah, so we, we get this thing here as well where uh, he does kind of lose control and he does start to attack um, his friends, his pals uh, while in the Berserker Armour and something appears to him, a, a figure of a child and tells him to stop and he does. And it's kind of like,
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: We don't really know what's going on there, but uh, I, I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, he doesn't use the armor again in this section, so it's it's. Uh, I like seeing it, and I'm glad too. I was like sort of worried in this upcoming section that it was like oh, he's just going to pop this thing on every time, but I think there is some restraint so far. in you know, we can't yeah. have every fight with guts be. Is he like going to get lost in the, lost in the armor sauce in this one?
2: Yeah, and I think M- Muir needs to keep that weight to it, right? That he's giving it by like being attentive to the moment of transformation, and like at, when he pops out of it as well, he like pops out of it, like like he's being born out of its mouth, like he's he's kind of bloody and screaming, and the whole thing shanks open oh, that's um, so in the sound it effect.
1: So- it's so gnarly and like and then he walks around with this and it looks like um it looks like he has like a bear trap around his neck when he's just walking around with it down it's it's so good the armor looks i think it like it looks cool it's um it gives him like it kind of refreshes his look without changing it too much too on just like a purely like hey this looks neat kind of level
2: yeah i have to admit i did i have purchased a. A figure of guts in I this armor. I
1: thought you were say you purchased the armor. <laughs>
2: purchased a bear trap to wear <laughs> around my head. <laughs> when <laughs> I, I get shot. really angry, it's going to snap shut. Yeah, and the cape. The... <laughs> the cape. Yep. Yeah. That's the my Halloween cosplay emerge. this this year. Is guts. <laughs> um, I think we should move on because we're 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 burning time like crazy. But um, yeah, I do want to, and we can't talk about this now. So I'm not, you're not allowed to respond to this. But mm-hmm. I just want to flag up. That just before we get out of this scene there is just a fucking terrible like guy, a Kushan yogi who's levitating with his legs crossed while mm-hmm. he smokes a fucking shisha pipe mm-hmm. he's got a turban on and there's like a, a an Islamic style wood screen window behind him and I just think mm-hmm. that entire image is just like a joke and Mura should be ashamed of himself for how bland and dumb it is um,
1: I don't yeah. have any thoughts on this I'm not yeah,
2: allowed it's, to it's the shisha pipe it's the shisha pipe that really anyway that guy's saying he's doing it's a Star Wars scene he's saying some of our crocodiles didn't come back <laughs> um, I wonder what's happening he's like one of those guys from Star Wars episode one the trade union guys being like I've heard rumors of a Jedi on the planet um, yeah, it's yeah, those scenes suck on the plus side after the darkness and the madness of the ocean and the violence I absolutely adore how Muir is like the next day and just proceeds to put out a gorgeous double spread yep. with the most sunlit morning feel you could ever hope to get from a piece of black and white line work of the team looking at a castle and an entire army setting up. And it's like, yeah, the transition there
1: is just so incredibly good. And it's been a while since we've had uh, a good like Mira, like making the diorama on the page. I love it. I love the sense of scale of these, especially when you haven't seen them in a while of these armies mustering. Right. And these, yeah, we get some great scale stuff in here with this, this, uh, this castle town and and its palace and everything.
2: Oh, we get we get everything here. We get the full we you know, get the full good Ridley Scott. The bit when the bit <sighs> of medieval filmmaking where Ridley Scott was insistent that he should put a dog in the background of every scene so that it looks like he's doing a tapestry. It's mm-hmm. just full of we get a dog. We get it's we get it's full of like medieval people eating and balancing oh, yeah. armor and like you know there's like women coming to kiss the knights and there's pageant, pageantry and like people carrying bags and wagons and um, it's just and I, I love we get this great great shot of Guts um, walking like slipping into the crowd of soldiers and remembering what it was like to be a mercenary um, there's and- great
1: stuff with Guts characterization with all the soldiers here
2: Yeah, and we get Serpico listing off all of the banners that he can see because he was a Mm -hmm. servant and so he knows all of the different banners and the whole thing is like the golden age coming back. And I love that Mura is very explicit that like that is actually what he's doing here, and he's got he's got guts like going at my home on the battlefield ascent my body knows well and it feels very much like Mura is back in his element here too like the whole thing just really smacks of of like nostalgia and kind of um, the return on a long journey to like civilization and to like people moving in a city and yeah this whole sequence was I was just so so happy to see it
1: yeah, there's so much of this that harkens back to stuff but also on purpose I think is a lot more cynical about it by so much of it is presented as sort of very shabby. Like these Yeah, there's yeah. one mercenary group that's trying to recruit and they're kind of uh, you know, they're they're calling out for soldiers and guts is kind of explaining how it works to Isidro. Yeah, Without, I love he, that. He won't say to Isidro that he used to be um you know Isidro is even like you know who's the coolest ever was the uh raider captain of the band of the hawk that guy was awesome and guts is like yeah sounds cool you know yeah we get a lot of like guts's closed mouth during
2: <laughs> during this discussion um and everyone's like yeah that band of the hawk they super cool oh wait you used to be a mercenary right guts and he's like oh i don't remember like it's yeah again <laughs> ask, like it's they ask it's him what such... group he
1: was with and he says i've forgotten. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It's, I don't remember.
2: Yeah. It's incredible dramatic irony. And it's incredible kind of like... Um, it's just... Yeah, it's great. It's great. We're back in the golden age, right? We're back in the golden age atmosphere. But Guts is is a different person. And we. it's such a nice way to draw that contrast of how he's changed. Um, because there's no way that he wouldn't brag about what group he was part of when he was a teenager, right? Like, that was yeah. his entire thing. Which um, is
1: so good with a lot of this stuff here that we get with the relationship stuff between guts and griffith griffith has you know they've gone back to the high school reunion and griffith you know looks great has a good job and then he's like you know trying to sleep with his girlfriend from yeah from 12th grade <laughs> guts is guts has come back and he's like this stuff all sucks i've outgrown this i'm i'm, yeah, I'm better yeah. than this now you know yeah like, didn't you
2: didn't used to be on the football team guts and guts is like i don't remember he's like, I don't, I don't <laughs> clearly the quarterback who like won the yeah. you know like won the cup but he's, he's, he's like uh, <laughs> i have
1: like five children now that i have to care for so i don't really have time to think <laughs> about this but it's it's so good right like it's the idea of this this power in this kind of like playing these uh like the kind of court games and the the great armies and everything and uh and griffith is still entrenched in that right he's he's come back to life and that's what he's doing as part of his you know mysterious world conquering plan whereas guts is just kind of moves through it with like this nonchalance and this not like superiority to it but just like he's like this is it's a sham you know he's he's done all this stuff before and he became like He like pretty much became a Duke and then didn't, you know, like, and, and he fought in all these different armies and has been part of all this stuff. And it just doesn't mean much to him. He's kind of seen through the end point of like the greatest glory in this, in this world.
2: He's not in the scene anymore. You know, he was in that great punk band that everybody forgot (laughs) that like supported the, the biggest bands, but now, when he walks into this <laughs> this music festival he's just like yeah i don't know all always... these i know the industry i know what happens here that's his, yeah
3: that's he
2: his was... Boop.
1: yeah and and that's kind of something i think that goes through this whole section too like we have also farnese that's kind of her arc in in this part too which yeah but yeah, I think... which is
2: a great arc actually. It's like the best, funniest ever. I imagine it's probably the best you'll ever get to be. But it's yeah, it's um, very good.
1: Yeah. But I think we should take like a detour here into some of the stuff with the Kushan and Shirka scene.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's... because we get this interesting thing, right? Which is Shirka wanders off because she's which yeah, like I love this. I love I love everything about this. From this point on, I really just love everything that starts happening. But I love it's this so thing well of Shurka being like, "This is too much." Like, so she, we suddenly realize like she grew up in the woods, and also like she's essentially psychic, and so just being in this kind of like hub of civilization is just an absolute nightmare for her. Um, and she ends up following this spirit to these gallows where a load of Kushana being hung, and or have been hung, and it's explained that in this city of merchants, there were already Kujan slaves, but the moment the war started, they all had to be executed, um, for political reasons. And she's then like jedi mind tricks the um the guards into burning these bodies to try to release these spirits but it's just like yeah it's so i was so happy to instantly get this complication instantly get this like what feels like the stronger parts of berserk where berserk is like yeah this is all fucked up like in this 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 kind of great city of merchants it's like well politically we just had to kill the kushan because it's wartime and that's how these things work um Yeah. And it, yeah, it's nice to finally get that complication of the Kushan that we've, we, you know, we've really been desperate for in order to try and at least like attempt. It's not that it undoes uh, some of the kind of like racist stereotypes, but at, at the very least, it shows like an interest uh, in Muras part to to like put them in the to, to acknowledge complexity within the relations between like different groups in this world right and different races and different nationalities and 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 the people caught up in those relations the 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 people at the bottom of the the ladder
1: yeah which is i i think it's it's like not surprising that it happens it's almost surprising the level of like how shockingly racist those portrayals are earlier because this is a lot more of the kind of mirror you expect, right? Where even if something is like you, you think of his like depiction of women throughout this whole series too, or um, where he can, he can give you sort of the most obvious, like kind of retrograde kind of depiction of something, but then he'll also complicate it pretty soon after. So, and that's why usually usually get so much whiplash where it's hard to always kind of know for sure if you're like, on board with what he's doing but it's like he just needed here to show us some normal people you know some some of these kushan um people who are just they're just people and that's kind of what was missing right they're not all part of this army and everything that you know uh like in this vignette here where she sees them dead and the whole thing is they're just sad and angry that they're they haven't been buried And we get her, uh, seeing, uh, kind of like, you know, getting the hollow eyed flash of imagery that shows like what happened to one of them before, uh, he was hanged or before he came to the city and it's like, and he was taken as a slave and not fed well and whipped and worked constantly. And then this is the reward and it just shocks her. Right. And it's, you know, obviously meant to shock us as well and be like, this is appalling. Um, and yeah that's just kind of the kind of thing that you expect to see more of with him less of this kind of yeah weirdly reductionist like that becomes i don't know it's a lot of it it's just like it's just like war on terror imagery of just giving yeah. into this weird
2: you yeah know. yeah i mean it's just blatant this is a blatant orientalism which yeah i mean like the tiger stuff as well, like, yeah, we'll we'll we can maybe touch on. But yeah, I agree that the complication is welcome. Um, but before we also like we're gonna hold off on that still, maybe, because I think also it'd be really good to talk about Sonia and Sherka and this like long sequence now which stretches across a from one volume into the other. Um yeah. of...
1: can I say really quickly, again, you don't have yeah. to respond. How about those boats, huh?
2: Yeah those are those are good boats that's all i got to say there's some boats i mean we're about to get an incredible pirate so that's you gotta have a good boat there's a good pirate
1: shirka sees a boat for the first time and it's sort of framed like you know her in proportion to this she walks out onto this uh into this dock that's a it's a big boat very detailed mira you can tell he's getting older also he's now become a boat guy he just wants to draw, <laughs> he just wants to it's draw a boats. big old galleon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From different periods. Uh, that's yeah. all I had to say about, about
2: that. No, the boat is good. I like how it's almost a fantastical boat. Um mm-hmm. it's almost like not period accurate because They're it's, like it's being many seen many through Shirka's. Yeah. It's yeah. Being, and I like this. I like how Shirka here, and this is the art we get. It's like Sonya, the 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 medium that we've previously seen giving um, What's his ridiculous name? Um Mule. Mule, a walk through Griffith's camp. We now get Sonia Mule back again in a fantastic double act that I deeply love. Um and Sonia now we've have we have I love this arc of Shurka being like God humanity in this society. Like it's just horrific. And seeing an opportunity, um we have Sonia turning up and like telling her this fairy tale, this wonderful fairy tale that's like supposed to be the ugly duckling, but is actually about how Sonia is in love with Griffith and is connected to Griffith because she believes her she's magical too. And it starts becoming this elaborate thing about ducks, but it's like, it's very endearing. And then the whole thing becomes about this arc where it's about Sonia kind of trying to tempt Shurka away from humanity away from um this this city with all its complications and all of its horror into being you know part of what we know shirka doesn't know but what we know to be the band of the hawk um and it's a yeah it's a really cool little mini arc within this sequence and it suddenly makes shirka make sense as a kind of like character who is on the edge of society and is connected. She's in the interstice. She's between magic and and human Um, and yeah, I really like the way it plays out. There's a lot of silly stuff in it as well with Isidro and this fantastic pirate um, (laughs) that's just a long John Silver stand-in and incredibly he after fighting after being like fight me on the boats you won't be able to beat me on the boats and then da, da, da. and then right at the end of the fight he falls in the water and he's just in a very small voice is like i can't swim
1: <laughs> he's the saddest pirate of all
2: and the um and israel just whacks him on the head with an oar yeah. and he goes down and that's that's it for the pirate yeah but yeah I'm I'm skipping ahead a little, but I'm just, I think it's, it's worth talking about the, the overall arc here, as opposed to necessarily like the blow by blow of like there, you know, there's Kushan children they're saving. And, but in reality, the whole thing is, is a, is a side story that's about Sonya and, and yeah. Um, and, and it's Shurka.
1: And it's uh great. It's both about these characters and it's also about Guts and Griffith, right. And reinforcing what they're doing and like what they're, sort of how they're kind of like using their legacy to, um, or I guess how they're imparting a legacy because you get all these great shots too of Shirka, the way she's drawn is she she's really good in that you get a lot of great expressions from her because she's like has a kid face and so it's really easy to make her you know, these big eyes and this rounded face and it's really easy to have her drawn where when she's sad, it looks incredibly sad. And when she's shocked or something, it's, you know, when she looks preoccupied because her eyes are so huge, Mira can really make them look sort of glazed. Um, And her conversation with Sonia here, you get all these great back and forth where Sonia is so, again, it's like the cult thing, right? She is such, she's so bought in and she's nice like you like her kind of in this section because she's like Yeah, yeah she's funny and she's like kind to this girl she ran into and um but she always has these eyes these like big wide eyes that are just too certain but also disengaged and shirka's like has the opposite face her expressions are always changing and there's like all these conflicting emotions that you see reflected in how her face is drawn compared to sonia who is you know eerily certain of what's going on and then we have sort of the the denouement of this thing is her going back to the camp and and essentially talking about how she's really lonely and um so she's like kind of trying to recruit shirka and she obviously there's something going on where her and mule like when we were first introduced them Mule asks isidro if he knows where a wit- where the witch is so obviously they're here for to some extent to maybe capture her or something, right. Or they, they know something's going on. So there is this kind of ulterior motive going the whole time. And it's like, it's interesting You get these two lost girls who as, as this section like illustrates have parallels in terms of both being very lonely and having some kind of like magic gift that puts them outside of everyone they know. And Sonia kind of becomes this disciple of Griffith who becomes this she's she doesn't really think as much right she has this kind of like cult like disengagement like certainty that she's doing the right thing and she doesn't have to think for herself so much anymore about what's right or wrong and Shirka is like as becomes very clear over this section is like has this like kid crush on Guts where she wants him to like be her new kind of like guardian and leader in the same way that the old witch was and so you get this thing as well of like under guts leadership like he has these characters who leave and they try to figure themselves out and they're you know it's like in the old band of the hawk when some of the characters were trying to figure out what they wanted like guts himself and then in leaving and griffith obviously not liking that and then in this new band of the hawk he's kind of clamped down and it's like authoritarian and guts more so has a group of friends um i I don't know there's like a lot going on with that stuff that i think is really clever and also gives us time to get to know sonia and to know shirka better and i don't know it works on a lot of levels
2: yeah, and it has this great element of dramatic irony that we know lots of things about Sonia that Shurka doesn't know here, and we know what her offer means, and we yeah. know what lies behind it. And I think it, yeah, it's a there's such a strong weight to that scene where they're stood at the gates of the city, and there's like a shot of them with like long shadows as the sun goes down, and the bells are are ringing, and um she has to make this call and yeah she looks back and sees guts and it's kind of there's a i think there's something that shirka does that requires guts to be something in a way like in a way the the implications of shirka as a character kind of imply this change that we've seen in guts like it has to happen for this entire plot to work like guts has to be somebody that a child could believe in and i like that there's This game of kind of, like, like other people kind of suggest to her that, like, oh, she's in love with Guts, but she knows very clearly that she's not in love with Guts, that it's something else. And I think this interplay is also, like is very strong we see everything from shirka's perspective we're very you know the 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 panels drop lower and lower right so we're no longer like looking down on shirka as a character throughout this sequence we're right in shirka's eye Mm -hmm. level we're we're getting closer to her face and i think there's like yeah there's something really nice generated there because generally shirka previously had been kind of like tucked under her hat and tucked away um yeah, and then there's also this fun meta-commentary that goes on through there, this arc where Isidro and Mule kind of represent the, like, class dynamic of the entire com- discussion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that And and kind of like... The, it's almost like Mura kind of closing off that side of the conversation by kind of saying, like... Because the, the discussion is like, oh, do you... You know, c- can you accept... Suffer- can you accept evil? Like, can you accept the the nature of the world and still continue to be in it or or you know do you want to do you want to go elsewhere do you want to do you want to become something else and the the side discussion is Isidro a mule kind of saying like oh you know you've got to like Isidro kind of saying like oh you've got to you know you've got to be connected to like what's going on and is a uh, mule kind of saying oh you've got to rise above you've got to be like mm-hmm. you've, you've got to be better than that you have to be because he's an aristocrat he has this idea of like we, ha- we have to be better than this. And in the end, they just end by beating each other up <laughs> and having this, like, absurd argument about this, about
1: who's, who's who
2: represents right. the, like, correct swordsman. Like, should you be arrogant or should you be honorable? And should you be... And I love that that whole thing is just played... For a joke, and is just like thoroughly mocked, especially considering where we're going from this point on, mm-hmm. um, into the kind of like a discussion of aristocracy and like power. That's that's pretty is pretty compelling, and yeah, I just love that that Mira's kind of like it. Just feels like Mira's firing on all cylinders here. He's just like layering all of these kind of like interplays of power and characters emotions um and decision making and none of it is about i mean there's a cool fight with some pirates but none of it is really about chopping up monsters it's it's all about these like social structures that surround characters and keep them from from being fulfilled um which is is yeah
1: and he he does so much good like there's so much dialogue in this um but there's a great sense of menace to this entire thing too where it's it's all daylight but they're you know sitting on a dock and there are birds constantly because Sonya is telling the story of you know the hawk did this and the the ducks did this and the crows and I'm a kite and uh, you're an owl and so she's kind of like telling this fairy tale story but it's also this imagery all the time of these like birds flying away and you're looking at sheer and kind you're just like don't go don't do it cuz you know it's it's not good right it's it's very much like uh she's kind of like being seduced away by this thing and i don't know it, it works well like there's all this imagery that kind of like ties it in uh in a really strong way and then you do get this payoff of what that menace means when like sonia's leaving and he, and she's like okay well see you later if you're not going to come with me by the way get out of the city and then she yeah. like flashes her into her mind just a vision of like streets like you know stopped up with corpses piled on each other and shirk is like okay <laughs> uh you know thanks for showing me that she's essentially just like you know it's all sweetness and then she's like hey by the way this is this is coming for you uh so <laughs> know that it's there's so much like it's just sort of unsettling even though it's like kind of a cute story of you know animal metaphors and fighting yeah, a pirate yeah. and all this like kind of like kid hijinks and then
2: yeah yeah it's still this band of the hawk thing of like the B- band of the hawk is still just like this kind of nice looking thing that's actually horrible like this kind of beautiful sunset sunlit glowing soul glittering dappled light uh, Angel Griffith thing and yet it's like you know in the forest are, are the cannibals and yes yeah. the whole thing it's... is built on a pile of corpses and yeah it's it's great it's great
1: Um, okay we should
2: yeah we there's should... one big final arc here basically right which is long but it's essentially the arc we were talking about earlier where Farnese leaves the group in order to try and secure a ship. And she goes to her father and agrees with, makes an agreement that her brother will provide a ship if she is married to his friend. Yeah. Um, which is just, the when I saw this start to form, I was like, God, yes, this is my favorite golden age stuff. But we are not in the same kind of, I think it would like a very the the like Versailles court of the golden age. Now we we are one hundred thousand percent in Medici's Florence. Yeah, like yeah, we we literally have Florence Cathedral turn up at some point. Yeah, and, um, and
1: Farnese's family, the the vote the Dove Vandinium or whatever, are they they just are the Medici's? Like it's spelled out. They're like, yeah. how many popes have we? Come from our family now, and like we, yeah, yeah. and they're like control the 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 bank for the papacy, and like,
2: yeah, and they're the mercantile power, um, mercantile power. In the and they even have this like four leaf clover symbol, Mm -hmm. which appears again and again in exactly the same way. Like, I've been to Florence, and one of the coolest things you can see in Florence is that in all the churches, the Medici's built where you at the apex of the dome of the church, where you would traditionally have the symbol of Jesus Christ is a Medici, a coat of arms. And I think like, I couldn't stop thinking about that when I was like looking at these, these beautiful drawings of interiors and like, um, Miro starts laying on really thick with his like period appropriate 14th century, like, uh, gardens and so symbols, good. but, everywhere this four-leaf clover just turns up all over the place it's the shape of fountains it's it's the shape of chandeliers it's in the the molding of the the domes it's like haunting everybody and it's revealed that like fanisa's family it's kind of retconned in really because it doesn't necessarily fit with her previous backstory no it doesn't but it's it's kind of retconned in that that they are like in control of of the entirety of this this city but also of the, the holy See that that her father is this kind of like incredible and he's the pure representation of a merchant right because his entire thing is that he is or like a banker his entire thing is he can only deal with like the rational he is yeah. he can only deal with uh purely rational relations and that's why Fanny struggled so much as a kind of i mean i think a little of this is a little eh, but i'll give him the 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 benefit of the doubt, but that her emotion, her her kind of like wildness as a person is the thing that that made it impossible for her to continue to exist in this world. Well, and so,
1: as her mother says, he was yeah. scared of her. Right? Yes, that he yeah. couldn't he couldn't understand her, so he was scared of her, and he didn't he didn't raise her because he. But there's so, there's so much stuff here. The way this is, I mean, there's the drawings. There's the character, like Farnie's, like as a character, the kind of social commentary we get um there is also so much stuff that's very big about how direct these references are and these illustrations of uh these palaces and you definitely get a whole especially with griffith coming back and the kind of cosmological significance of everything that's going on and then we're here and then the cause like the the big god stuff comes in literally crashes through the windows but there's so much like look at this fallen world you know (laughs) like look at what rationality with these like renaissance evocations and stuff like look look at its height how it's kind of like diseased Um, yeah yeah and it's the
2: renaissance exactly yeah
1: and it's just like underneath this veneer of like beauty and which Mira really leans into with there are pages upon pages here that are just like kind of like knock you backward you know when you when you turn to stuff he's we were talking in the last episode toward the end of it about like it doesn't feel like he doesn't do something now because he maybe couldn't figure out how to do it the guy is just in this whole section like and including in the city stuff too some of the 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 perspective work he does and then here it's just like no it's okay like i can draw this page for the next month that's fine it can be one page, you know. Like he's just, and and it yeah. works. It works. The yeah. uh, dedication to like awe and stuff is is so important to how all of this comes off.
2: Yeah, it's so appropriate. Yeah, thematically to this like return to civilization and just the 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 costuming and the detailing on everybody and the the sense of overwhelming. Like I love this scene in the rose garden where. Um, she's to meet her suitor. The oh God, where is his name? Because oh, his, his name like... is the a wonderful fake German name, uh, Roderick of Schkdalfen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> got like a, a few too many consonants, even for German. Yeah. Um, and he's introduced like, yeah, is this kind of like pinup, but we've we've got like. Farnese is completely overwhelmed in this kind of like rose garden where she's just kind of like, she can't deal with the level of detail that Muir is drawing here. Like she can't process what's happening. And he does this incredible, like Mr. Darcy, Jane Austen type thing where he's like, mm. Oh, all these, his, her brother in an attempt to like kind of endear him to her is like, Oh, um, Roderick, uh, got all these roses for you this entire greenhouse of roses are for you and she's like oh my word and then he's like mm, but I, I can't say i i can bring myself to like roses you know he does this kind of like trick where he's like you know roses are, are like all the ladies who uh compete through dress and showiness but you are you were a lily among these roses there's like incredible rhetoric this guy uh, is like literary rhetoric it's just uh it's like john it's like a john Donne poem it's i just love it so much it, it and she is just completely like blasted by this right there's this panel of her stood in among the roses and she just looks dead inside um it's
1: yeah oh it's it's so good too later she's asked by i think her mom asked her like what like what did you think of him and she's like well he called me interesting and and you, yeah. you can read it a few ways there of how she's kind of like processing this it's so good how she comes back in here and like kind of the arc of her story i guess is she comes back in she knows she has to ask her father for help to get the ship because they can't they can't get passage on a ship to go out to the you know uh skellig islands because the war is heating up and all these forces are mustering here so like the navies of all these different nations have or kingdoms have gathered here um so she goes to ask her brother who is uh i should have mentioned magnifico yes dovan Do Do your namesake uh who's like a frustrated son of uh a brother of farnese who can't get like a, a proper appointment that he feels is worthy of of him from his father because his father's like well you're not good enough at anything yet um so farnese gets engaged in order to get a ship uh to sort of get her rights and she's like maybe i'm gonna yeah. have to stay here forever maybe this is just life for me now as i'm just gonna be yeah. this kind of kept woman um and she ends it by like you know metaphoric well no literally being like fuck this dress and putting on her like battle clothes again you know yeah but there's a great scene where yeah sorry i'm skipping just
2: before no no just before we get i just want to highlight this incredible apex of like disgust that occurs here because there's a whole there's this great underlying tension to this whole thing because the whole thing is kind of like one we know shit's going to go down but two we know that like this isn't okay for funny. So we kind of watch her like sleepwalk through this whole thing. And Mura kind of resists the temptation to go inside her mind and mm-hmm. give her an inner mm-hmm. monologue where she's like, wait, I, I mean, she has a bit of it, but it's, it's like, yeah, she, it's mostly other people talking at her and her just kind of like staring. And I think that's really strong because it builds up this tension of us not knowing where Funnies is going. And then we have this scene where her brother and this uh, Roderick guy, Uh, stood in the the, there's this grand ball and they look in the windows and they're talking about the fact that the midland um generals are still fighting among each other because midland doesn't have a king anymore and they start talking about how this whole system is kind of like cyclical and won't go anywhere and then their solution is like yeah colonialism they're like we should go and yeah. and open the unknown sea routes and set foot on unexplored lands, and they toast to to um, putting to sea and seizing the coming age, yeah. and the arrogance, and and then at that exact moment she is paraded out in in a kind of wedding cake dress, um, and I just it's so good, it's so good that we have this like peak of these two arrogant young men born of means um, you know, like claiming this woman and they are like um next the world, right? Yeah, like yeah. this is the future for for the the Medici's for Italy. We we will now become a colonial nation. Um yeah and it's incredibly well observed and yeah. kind of like and then of course what <laughs> immediately happens is the big fucking tiger's gonna come and I was sad that they don't immediately get gobbled up, but like that's the, 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 the tiger rocks up and you know I mean we we get a little bit before we get there and we get some cool stuff again. But yeah, we get this suddenly there's a tiger you know, Guts and um and Shirka and Isidro and Kaska see that there's a there's a the fog's coming in and there's a tiger on the streets. Um and it's yeah. I, I yeah, I really love this whole the whole build up to this one ball which is kind of like the apex of this society that then we know is going to burn down
1: um, and there's it's very cool there's so much going on right like it's so it's like as soon as you see magnifico and and uh what's his name again the her fiance um roderick roderick you see the two of them and you're like these two assholes and they're like ivy league guys you know they're, they're <laughs> skull and bones guys like they're friends from college right and they're yeah, happy yeah. to see each other again and they're kind of just like you know they they think they're smarter than everyone else and they're both like uh from royalty the Roderick is here from on like a diplomatic he's essentially here to deliver a, a, some sort of treaty and he's just here to like hand off a scroll and then come back um but these guys these like you know masters of the universe who should you know in in when you kind of update them and they're they're mixed like they're they're 14th and 15th century italians they're also you know british explorers smoking pipes in the 19th century and you know wondering how to get jobs for the east india company and they're also american businessmen who went to you know their ivy league schools together and then <clears throat> these fucking dudes, when they're partying and they're having their, you know, when they're in their element and then the tigers burst and <laughs> like it's it, it is so I mean, it's what it's what you said. It's just like it's such a great like undoing of and I think at this point, like when we return to this court stuff, we've had so much time outside of it to like you have like Shirka before this being uncomfortable with. How civilization manifests itself in this form, and she's you know the the rural girl who's kind of removed from human society, and we have guts who's been living outside of it, who's seen through how, uh, how just kind of like venal all of this stuff is in the end, and seen it become this like operatic bloodbath in the eclipse. I don't know. It's there's so much going on here that I I love the way it it shakes out.
2: Yeah. And we, we, you know, we. so we get now a, a, a fight between um, Guts and Serpico, which is a kind of jewel and has been long promised. And it's cool. But I kind of want to gloss over it a little bit mm-hmm. because I want to keep talking about what we're talking about here. And I, unless there's something in particular I'd like to talk about, but it does, it also takes place
3: mm-hmm.
2: in Alhambra. It takes place mm-hmm. in, in, like, a. a, a forest of pillars and it's a it's a literal room from from alhambra in spain um which is a is is you know a islamic palace in mainland spain in the city of granada which represents the kind of like moorish influence on spain and the fact that spain was um a moorish a a north uh african and middle eastern territory and then a Sp- european territory and it's like it's yeah. It's like suddenly Muir has become self-aware. Suddenly mm-hmm. he's like, "This yep. here we are. The Kushan are you know are this um, symbol of the East." But actually, like he's complicating it and he's like bringing in all of these symbols from the outside. And we have this jewel within this this space that's defined as a as like this historical space, which explains to us that this territory used to be a Kushan territory. Um, and it's yeah, I I love it so much. And then. Just to you know, to we you have that moment where the tigers burst into the this this hall, and you get an incredibly funny moment leading up to that as well because um, her uh, Farnese's brother is like, oh, I'm going to take my moment to announce my big plan <laughs> this this marriage to, between Roderick of Skadaufen and my sister, who's who's now left. Um, and he has this great moment of embarrassment, and that moment of embarrassment is when like everything collapses. The tiger, like, rocks in, and there's this great moment where everything is in darkness, and some ladies get splashed. Oh yeah! And someone's like, "Oh, I've good people. I've brought a light," and they realize they've been splashed with blood. And there's like when he brings on the, the ground, light,
1: I think, too. From yeah, like the first and- guys to got attacked.
2: And then we have this I'm gonna I'm about to do a really deep cut on this image of a tiger, but I swear I, I would bet money that it is based on this thing, which I've already mentioned the V&A which is not a surprise because of colonialism. Uh, the Victorian Albert Museum in London, which is a kind of like colonial treasure trove. But there is this sculpture in the V and A from 1793 called Tipu's Tiger, which if you if you can find this panel of berserk of a Kind of incredibly stylized tiger pulling the um, the entrails out of like an aristocrat, while horrified others stand around with um, with candelabra, which in itself looks like a political cartoon uh, mm. about the kind of dangers of the East. Right, like it, it, the imagery there is it's very strong. But it, it, there's this there's this um, wooden sculpture called Tipu's Tiger, which is of a a European, a British soldier, being eaten um, in almost this exact way by a kind of stylized tiger, and the the sculpture contains an organ where if you um, turn the the handle, it plays the dying sounds of the British soldier being eaten by the tiger, and this was commissioned by um, a, a Tipu Sultan, who is the leader of of a leader in South India of Mysore. Um, and he was ultimately killed by the British East India Company in 1799. But he was famous for his his ability to defeat the British and for his resistance to the British. Um, and he uh, this like um, tiger was specifically commissioned and then like taken around to exhibit to people to kind of show like to mock the British basically and to show this image this like technological object this sculpture that like screamed to represent like the destruction of the british um by the by this indian sultan and yeah i just like once we've had this complication of the territory um and i just think this image of this tiger like consuming the aristocrat um at this supposed apex of the uh uh, of the uh society here is just it's so cool
1: it's really good it's also I, I looked that up on the slide while you were talking about that and i recognized that i think people will know that uh sculpture yeah um, it's a
2: pretty famous thing because it was ultimately also like he was killed and it was taken and it's now exhibited in the victorian albert museum which yeah, is it's the kind of the, heart uh, of empire so it's like a very it's had a journey uh politically
1: there's um have you seen that movie that is huge it's a I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the the region and the language right. Telugu in India, a movie called RRR. I've seen a lot of stuff about it, but I have yet to see it. It's, it's a whole other conversation in and of itself, but it's it's sort of like a a larger than life fantasy of uh, set. I think in, I think it's set in like the late 1910s or early 1920s or something like that. And yeah you have a lot of this kind of imagery of the land of like in 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 that movie and and this is reflected in this as well and i think that's also reflected in uh tibu's tiger as well Is like the land itself will not bear these like invaders right they Mm, they the animals of the forests of india will come out and kill these people (laughs) you know um which again i think you watch R and it's like extremely fun and wacky and also is like hyper nationalistic right like you you, there is there are issues with this as well but when you use it in certain ways i think like tipus tiger is like a good example of like no that's that's good that's like a long-standing a people's being colonized essentially saying like this land will not abide you 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 do not belong here this is not yours and it's the same sense you really get, like, you know, the British soldier in his finery and there's also a lot of British soldiers in their finery in R-R-R, and are, and uh, in here, these sort of uh, Italian, but, you know, sort of uh, broadly European aristocrats splattered with blood by this, like, just feral tiger is is just fantastic. It's It's that same... The same idea of like nature is just like crashing in through the windows and doesn't care about your beautiful ballroom and and your uh fancy clothes and et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera
2: and and it's following on directly from this kind of reveal of Alhambra right of this reveal that like this territory, which in our heads we're thinking of as Europe, may not in fact be Europe, as in it it may be Europe and it may be. Uh, that this we we were told this is Kushan this was Kushan land at some point so it's like suddenly the question is like wait who is invading who at this point you know I I really like that that is that is the the exact moment before this tiger breaks in we get that kind of like uh, rug pull on that and yeah I think it it feels like Mura kind of like read his European history and was like wait a second (laughs) Like <laughs> i've read some things about spain which have slightly changed my conception of like what is and isn't european here and like what even europe is as a as a an entity and yeah it's yeah it's good it's yeah. good i recommend looking up the history of alhambra and granada and moorish um parts of spain because uh, i'm talking to the listeners now but yeah the, it's, it's a it's a relevant subject for this uh, this material, I think.
1: It is. It's also how, in a roundabout way, how we kind of ended up with the cowboy, the American cowboy. You can trace it all the way back to kind of uh, Moorish Spain. Oh, really? Yeah, there's kind of a line of like the vaquero in in uh, Mexico, and how that kind of came from Spanish invaders mm. uh, who were influenced by northern africans who like the the moors who go back to northern africa and like the horsemen um who like were people who were really handy with sort of using horses like for lots of different capacities like uh livestock herding and all this stuff anyway you can do that too yeah it's, it's good it's interesting um
2: but but now we we do get we do get the complication. We do get the moment where, for me, like, again, Mura we kind of, like, I don't know, like, something doesn't work here, which is, I mean, of course we get Guts comes in and he's, he chops these tigers, and he does it unwillingly, right? Funny he says, like, my family are here. Please don't let them all die. Because Guts is kind of like, I don't care.
1: These guys could die. I think um, he, he kills one for free, maybe. Yeah,
2: yeah. Chops Just, it in
1: half for free. But after says... that, he's like... Sorry, yeah, I don't want to interrupt you.
2: Continue. No, no, no. I'd, yeah, feel free to. But yeah, that that he kind of um, he chops them all up. But what we get, the one image I wanted to like bring attention to that bothered me was we do get what I feel is like one the the they're all saved or the majority are saved from these tigers, and then two we suddenly get this goddamn Jafar Emperor guy rocking up as a giant head he just turns up and he's like I am Emperor Ganishka of the great Kushan Empire to declare a proclamation of war against you infidels Mm -hmm. Um, this is the start of a nightmare and I know he's a demon and I know everything else but I just feel like the Medici dude whatever his name is could not be happier than seeing the kind of like grand demonic ghost of an emperor turn up and declare them all infidels and how he's going to murder them all and he's so obviously evil that i just i was just like oh come on i hate this guy i hate this depiction i i hate everything about the 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 kind of ganeshka character who just kind of like yeah just comes in and kind of like uncomplicates the situation basically by being a big evil god um so yeah that was unfortunate that's that's the only apart from this the terrible yogi who is possessing the smoking shisha shish, uh, shisha and um possessing crocodiles i feel like this is it's just another one of those moments where i'm like oh come on mura yeah but
1: yeah mean, yeah he's um it's it's the same thing as before too it's like he's more evil than the evil which it's a little bit it's easier to take this time because of uh, you know some of the stuff we were talking about before like yeah the the, yeah. the complicating aspects of it where you do get a bit more of and also he's because guts is helping you introduce helping kind of introduce him here and that like his brain starts hurting and he's like oh this guy's an apostle so like right away you're like oh this guy is uniquely you know individually shitty um yeah, yeah. Which yeah. You know.
2: yeah. And we've seen other Kushan at this point. We've like definitely there's there's a process happening here, you know, as we talked about before. So yeah. I mean it's... yeah. And it does get that like, we do get that great moment with the Medici guy where the Medici guy's like, Don't worry everybody. It's clearly this all these tigers and this big godhead, they were just illusions. They're just like you, you maybe did some drugs got snuck into our drinks. Mm-hmm. Clearly, don't lose your sense of reason, people.
1: Yeah, he's like that's what the enemy want. Yeah, yeah.
2: Which,
1: which also is made a me good... think of like I don't know how much of this was widespread in in Britain. I imagine it it was, but again, with like the time period of all of this stuff, and you just think so much of like the days after like September 11th, and it was just constantly like go out and go out and shop. It's your duty as a member of the free world to go to your local shopping mall and proudly buy shit you know it's like do so not in fear everyone get back to normal that's what the enemy wants is for you to be scared um it's it's so much of that kind of like yeah with when they talk about him constantly as he's like the the apex of like the rational uh mercantile man um yeah yeah. and all of this magic
2: allows him to be the kind of like rational to the point of irrational character right where he's like even though we have raw physical evidence of this like demonic presence and everything else it's like the only rational response could be to ignore it and it's a yeah it's a great critique of that position um done very simply here it's very it's also just very fun it's always fun to have a really stupid rich dude um in a Mm -hmm. in a berserk bit i always enjoy them
1: well, that's part of the fun of the tiger attack in the first place, too, is that beyond any larger significance, it's I was thinking, this, I'm like, maybe there's something wrong with me, like some sort of deep seated, like grudge or something. But just anytime in like a movie or like a thing, it's just a bunch of rich people being like ripped apart by tigers. You know, like, that's pretty entertaining. <laughs> you know, it's like, look at these people. <laughs> they think they're so great and now they're getting (laughs) ripped apart by tigers i mean
2: this guy is pretty disney level rich person isn't he he's pretty like disney villain rich person just kind of like yeah this would be like
1: you know if it was like a Davos summit or something, and then like a bunch of tigers. Jump <laughs> yeah, the I mean exactly right. That you're does like, sound
2: kind of attractive.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you're like, yeah, no, that's that's, pre- that's pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah,
2: we're literally getting an eat the rich sequence in in <laughs> Berserk. We shouldn't we shouldn't question that. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, the yeah, and we Fanny's kind of like comes back to us right here. She's like, yeah, it turns out this place does suck. Yeah. surprise surprise and and she gets given some some thorny snakes um to control she gets given her first power so she's back yeah. with the magic team and yeah and she, it's a, yeah
1: she she gets to um yeah after a long period of her being sort of just nothing and just responsive right it's the section I, I liked how we actually got to have some of her thought process and have some of her like, you know, sort of seeing what she left and what she might go back to. And instead sort of, you know, I, I like the part where she's she uses her knowledge of the arcane to be like, that's a silver candelabra. And she is in her. Yeah, yeah, it's
2: great. Yeah, she's like a witcher character. And, yeah. Use yeah. the silver Buffy the Vampire Slayer moment.
1: Yeah. And it's it's just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's nice. To give her sort of this like dark night of the soul to come out of again, and, and yeah, and it's become so sort of hope. Like, tougher and uh, hope it'll for last. female characters. It'll yeah. last one chapter, I'm sure, and then it'll.
2: Mm. Look, like, this. I think this is about as. Yeah, I mean, we could do better, maybe, but this is pretty. Much, for me, this is some of this stuff is as good as as it gets. Really, there's so much stuff going on with characters, and there's yeah, like. We there's so much stuff I, I just feel like there's there's stuff we, we we're kinda like glossing over as well that's so good, but it's yeah, we you, you just gotta read this bit. People there's just also have to read this bit. Stuff Roderick that... gets to come with, which I love. I love that we're gonna get more Roderick, the Mr. Darcy of Berserk mm-hmm. is like and he has this great moment where he like n- kind of wraps his fist on Guts's armor and says like, Hey, He's like immediately trying to square up to Guts as like having a little bit of a dick measuring contest. And it's, yeah. Well, because there's good, it's good vibes.
1: And Farnese is also like Shirka. She's, she doesn't know. I mean, Farnese is older, but she's kind of got like a a crush, author- like sort of like an authority crush. Or... Yeah, well, she
2: calls her teacher, right? Like Farnese calls Shirka teacher. Oh, no, no, no teacher. but
1: her with Guts as well. Um, oh right yeah, yeah Is like also sort of which i i don't think is going that way and i kind of hope it doesn't i think it's more of her respect for him which has always sort of been the case over the last however long and she kind of feels like she needs to live up to how sort of strong he is i hope it's not as simple as like oh he's so handsome now but some of the some <laughs> some of yeah, the, yeah. the panels are do make it seem like she's just sort of blushing looking at his big strong jaw. That's
2: um, true, it's true. I mean, yeah. It, that's that's everyone's funny. got a
1: crush on guts.
2: Yeah. That's true. Roderick may even have a crush on guts, to be honest. There's uh there's also Yeah, I mean, so the and the plot thing that we get here is also that that Roderick is like I'll keep the engagement and I'm going to take you guys on a ship because I have a ship. And also because this city is screwed. So let's get out of here guys. Yeah. They're being um,
1: properly invaded now by demons of demon. Of yeah. all sorts. So I think like sort of odds and ends from this. Um, There's one part where you're praising a lot of things. There's one part here. And I, I almost want you to just say, it's just like, Nothing and we don't have to think about it again. But why is there a part here where Shirka and Kaska are like in (laughs) a bathtub and then Shirka is like shown nude a bunch of times? I want that to just be like it's a goofy little kid thing, you know, like, but it doesn't. No. That was one of the things that was closest to like, I just want to throw this in the garbage. I mean, he's done that kind of shit
3: before.
2: Yeah, I was about to say he's got a record. It's a bathhouse scene. I with mean, bathhouse a- scenes in manga and anime are kind of normalized in a way that is probably not good. But um, but a yeah. child,
1: a child is like
2: with a child. Yeah, is yeah. Real. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not. It could be worse. I think he's done worse. He's done way worse. Um. So, but yeah. It is. It. I did skip over it, but it is true that it is very much present as a as a scene, and it's kind of like there is an unnecessary moment of kind of like a joke of Shurka tripping and uh, and falling nakedly on the sleeping guts. Um, yeah, which yeah, which I yeah,
1: I think I I just like it's, yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic
2: Mura like. like underwhelming like undercutting his own characters right through for nothing really and
1: yeah like fucking gross um because (laughs) yeah because she's portrayed as a little kid i yeah i read it and just kind of went past it and just tucked it away in my head as as just it's slapstick and that's funny you know it's just oh that's funny let's not think (laughs) <laughs> you know it's like in the old dragon ball comics when goku is like six and he's running around with his little weenie out and you're like "How's oh, it' funny because it's yeah it's like just yep. slapstick whatever i was like okay let's just let's just say that's that's the intent you know and uh leave it there i don't know i don't i don't even like want to talk about it because it the implications <laughs> means- are too Grim and too like revolting, right? So, well, yeah,
2: it is, and it's also just kind of like obviously it is what it is. I don't have anything to say about it, if you know what I mean. Like, as in, it doesn't, it nothing is revealed through analysis <laughs> of, of that scene and apart from I, no, like I, what we already know. That's what, yeah, I,
1: that's why, I personally, I was like, I shouldn't bring it up, and then I was like, I don't know, it's like maybe that's also enough to it's like there's not nothing revealed by analysis other than like there are a few things in this world where i don't know you just put a big black mark over this (laughs) over this entire (laughs) project and be like no failed like it's it's just the one thing you you don't get to do that um i think it's maybe Uh. on the border enough that you can justify it to yourself and just keep keep trucking along and hope it doesn't happen again
2: well, I don't think we've seen the end. We've already had one previous bath scene, that's that's all about. It's, uh, also, the the slapstick underlying narrative is about Isidro trying to snatch a look as well. So, yeah, I think we'll see that return. Sadly,
1: yeah, a, a child and a mentally disabled woman. That's good stuff. That's um... yeah, yeah. Anyway, is a. Berserk. <laughs> let's, let's <laughs> spend an hour praising all the things it does well and then just and then there's that um is there anything else we want to get to in these these odds and ends i feel like i uh sort of just like <laughs> you know peed in the pool and now no one can no, swim in it anymore. No. i think but no better. i didn't do it i pointed I out that caska peed, peed in the and... pool
2: Mura Mura peed in the yeah pool,
1: he yeah. did it i didn't i just said hey look it's there and now we all have to climb out and (laughs) and i guess the
2: only other thing that we kind of skipped over that is worth going back and pointing to is like serpico just generally over this set sequences i really like a lot of how his aesthetic has changed um how he has this kind of like wind aesthetic and he's kind of like this reliable assassin now that's used in combat to kind of like precisely strike. And then we have this great duel with him and Guts that's all about the, the the counterplay of like a guy with a little skinny sword and a rapier fighting a guy with a big sword. It made me think of how much I used to love playing Soul Calibur 2 and how Soul Calibur 2 There's... is another video game with clear berserk references in Nightmare. Um, and whatever his name is when he's not Nightmare, if you've ever played Soul yeah, Calibur 2. I remember um, that. Yeah. And how much fun it was to fight, to use Raphael, the little guy with a skinny sword, to fight one of the guys with a massive sword, um, and just, like, poke him to death um, with his ridiculous moves. So, yeah. I it's... enjoyed that fight scene, because it reminded me of, of that fun video game. But I also enjoyed Serp- <laughs> um, Serpico's commentary on um his own relationship to emotion and yeah. fear. Yeah. I, and, I like that too. Yeah. And Which... how that this has affected his ability to fight and how that as, as usual, guts remains a kind of like focal pillar for everybody else to define themselves around. But I think that's quite effective throughout this um uh, sequence. And I love that after the fight ends, Uh, Serpico's like how did you know that you would you know how did you use the crumbling pillar against me Uh, and Guts is like oh I did it by accident
1: (laughs) yeah Guts is pure he's pure instinct he's because there's a there's like something where he's seeing you know slowed down movements of things and he's like it's incredible he oh yeah because he shifts uh, his grip so his mechanical uh, his prosthetic hand is above His organic hand, which he does because he knows Serpico is going to like try to stab at his fingers. Yeah, go for his hand, yeah. And so Serpico's like, oh, he's a tactical genius. And then later he's just like, no, I just do stuff on instinct. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a a god of fighting.
2: (laughs) But in that sense, Guts is almost like he's always there as a kind of mirror, right? Because he's so kind of flat in his response. Mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. he, kind of reflects back on characters like we've, we have scenes with Shurka we have scenes with Isidro all throughout the sequence where they all kind of have these scenes with Guts where they're like but what's going on with you Guts and that leads them to kind of f- hit on something that's happening with themselves and I think it's a really fun motif throughout this that, that Guts who has this deeply messed up internal life where he's like has all of this stuff to deal with but he doesn't. He's not actually dealing with it in any way, in any way, shape, or form. Or he's de- trying to deal with it internally, which is like a classic technique for like not dealing with something and not actually. He's not admitting it to anybody. He's not going. But you have all these characters who are like because they perceive him to, um, to exist at this state of kind of like uninternality. Like they invent an, an internal quality for guts, and that that affects how they see themselves. I just think is a really fun motif and consistent use of that character
1: yeah it's really good um yeah i i like that sequence just for the uh i like the way it looks is a main thing too like i I think the serpico stuff is pretty good it's when it first starts you are like oh another one of these um of these kind of fights uh but at the same time yeah like you're saying big massive ridiculously unrealistic like broadsword type thing uh slab of slab of metal you could hardly call it a sword versus you know the little rapier is like goes all the way back to him and griffith right like it just it's fun it's fun to see yeah. like big slow guy uh you know little nimble guy um and and the way the pillars uh Give all these opportunity for this different choreography of like guts just like smashing through them and Serpico like swinging off of them and just like how the background recedes into like pitch blackness and everything it's it's it just looks neat. Yeah, Serp- it's a very cool set piece. Serpico's a chump though. This is the second time he's <laughs> jumped him with a. And I must be getting some of uh guts's instinctual battlefield instinct because i saw those pillars and i was like you can't swing that sword in there Mm -hmm. that's 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 it that's the kind of keen military mind that spots that kind of thing right away that's what i have now
2: You're right, though, because Serpico's the one who's also like, hey, try to fight me on this very thin ledge. Yeah. He's like, oh, that didn't work. Oh, hey, try to fight me in this room of pillars. So, yeah, he does have a track record with this. He's very much like, I have the high ground. He's a
1: punk. Um, (laughs) Serpico. (laughs) I like Serpico, though.
2: I don't know why. I don't know why. I always like those characters. It reminds me of some Fire Emblem characters that I quite liked as well. They're kind of like rapier-wielding, like... I, I just like him because he has this kind of silent sense. Of, it, it, he's a contrast to the kind of aristocratic characters, I guess, in Berserk, who have all this pomp and circumstance. While Serpico seems to have this actual kind of very, very structured way of seeing the world. He has this actual kind of elegance and yeah, which um, is... kind of sense of order. And yet he's a servant and he comes from the streets. Um, And I think that's a really interesting paradigm, and I really enjoy that.
1: I do love how, and, you know, we get exposition telling us this too, but you often see it just in the way he's kind of positioned in scenes, or he's always thinking about something, and he often looks kind of dissatisfied with what's happening, but he doesn't say it. Mira does a good job of depicting him as always having, like, he's thinking a lot of things that he's never going to tell anyone um, until, you know, even in this fight and everything and his, his role in the whole Farnese thing is we get a lot of stuff of, you know, we, we also get the two of them back in the court garden again. And, you know, Farnese's mother even says to her, like, you know, like he's been with you for a decade now. He's never going anywhere. You two are, she, we get the, the a panel with that repeats it as well. It's you're the trees that have grown together and you have to lean on each other in order to stand. Um, yeah. I, I love that. She has this
2: incredibly mum moment there where um, it's weird. She's normal, w- but yeah, it's like, I just love this moment where Fanny's um, is like, Oh, and Serpico or like she asks or her mum asks about Serpico. Right. And she's like, um, Oh yeah. You two have always been pretty warped. You know, it's like the kind of shit that mums just say, like (laughs) asking you about your best friend or whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're doing okay. They're doing this. And and your mum would be like, oh, yeah, they've always been a bit weird. Or like, (laughs) you've always been a bit weird. That makes sense why you're friends. Just because she just comes out with it. She's like, you guys are warped. That makes sense. You're just a bit fucked up. Um, like, yeah. I'm your mum, so I can say that. You know, and she just she just plainly says it. I love that characterization of her her mother generally as a kind of, also as the kind of person who sees everything. Like she sees her husband, she sees yeah. the the. I, I mean, perhaps we've had that character before. We had a very similar character in the pre- in the golden age, but yeah, it's a, that idea of the the power behind the throne is is still kind of satisfying and and plays nicely in that scene. And yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's just great. It's just great to have these kind of like court relationships, I think. It's just it's such an opportunity for having a character be portrayed from and talked about from different angles by other characters. I think that's what we get a lot of. Um with that kind of thing. Like we have people saying things about Serpico and Funnies to each other, to other people. We have like people talking about the state of the world. We have this sense of just a real sense of like history in action and also society in action around the fringes of everything, which is, yeah, like the, the war means they can't get a ship. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. all
1: very chewy meaty stuff. I do like to, how all the, the, the ball is presented in part as this gathering of kingdoms who are all jockeying for position. You know, I think one of them says explicitly at one point, it's like, yeah, you know, when we take this land, that's been, um, invaded by the kushan back uh you know the people who take it back are not going to just give it back after to midland like they're it's it's sort of gives you the image of they're all sort of vultures right like they've they've come it's... yeah there's
2: there's like a balkanization implied right that there's going to be yeah. this this guess... like post-war reckoning of like we take back the the land and then it's our chance to change all the borders and settle old debts and yeah that
1: was one of the most literal uses of balkanization i think i've heard in a while (laughs) just like really like yeah not not metaphorical in any way (laughs) Yeah, that's what you get i live in i live in europe (laughs) exactly what i was thinking of um yeah i I like that stuff i like you know and then their plans are obviously they all start getting eaten by tigers which is also a a gratifying send-off to them being so smug and you know, again, like sort of the the masters of history or whatever. Um I also like the stuff with Serpico, how you he becomes so cold and it's like sad and you also get the sense of the entire thing. He's like, Well, he's gonna stay with her and it's gonna make him miserable, but he's gonna do it. Um Yeah,
2: yeah, if she will re enter society like yeah. high society, then he will do so too. Um
1: Yeah, and the idea of her slipping back into her old way of life also means he has to regress as well and and you have the whole thing throughout this entire part where it's like oh yeah that's his family too right that's his dad and his yeah yeah true brothers that are being talked about and he's sort of as per usual kind of hanging back and waiting to be ordered to do something as they discuss matters of great importance
2: yeah No, that, I mean, that whole characterization of Serpico is just so wonderfully consistent. This kind of, like, idea of him as the person who is hanging back and thinking about things and kind of processing and has. And not necessarily even, like, it's not like he's making some underhand plan, you know. He's not kind of, like, plotting. He's just kind of critically assessing, but then kind of, like, quietly putting those thoughts away because he knows that they're not necessarily helpful, right? He's just kind mm-hmm. of like, he sees it all. He sees the structures of of society running, but he's there just kind of still, in a way, like not acknowledging his emotional relationship to Farnese, right? Because he, he talks about how cold he is, but he's totally driven by the love he has for her mm-hmm. um, and his sense of protection there. But he's it, it remains on some level unacknowledged because... It kind of, And that kind of short circuits his, his critical ability. So yeah, I think the, the characterization overall is like, yeah, wonderfully consistent and kind of like,
1: yeah, it, it
2: feels like it really works in all of these contexts.
1: It'd be great to get some more with him at some point. Like by nature of his character, you almost, it's like, you're just not going to get it. But it it would be welcome to see some to see him sort of at the crux of things um yeah i guess in a sense
2: this is his peak though right he gets his duel with guts yeah we we have him in his element right it's hard to imagine him being in a more juicy position for that character than this um Knowing that the plot is going to take us out to sea and away from th- th- this whole thing in a way is I suspect most likely our goodbye to a lot of this kind of court material
1: yeah Maybe I'm it, wrong it does it does feel like that, who knows i don't know
2: it's a pretty good way to end it if it is um, yeah, the, the tigers rocking up and. And eating the nobles, yeah, I think and, is the the right way to go.
1: And the whole thing with like guts going through everything, his attitude toward it, even like Isidro being like, he says at one point he loves when aristocrats have to depend on him for their, yeah. for their well being. <laughs> you know, it's you get a lot of that great sort of just like underdog stuff. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, is that it? I think that's it. Is that a berserk?
2: That's uh, one entire berserk. Is that one entire exactly berserk. 2 hours and 25 minutes is uh, what we call traditionally a berserk.
1: This is usually the point in recording this when I become sort of like a, a vocal struggler where I don't want to talk <laughs> anymore for a while. <laughs> um and like when we do, what's the longest one we've done? Wasn't the eclipse one that was pretty long? I
2: think it was wild. May have been an eclipse, or or maybe the one with wild. I feel like we did three hours. I feel like we're yeah, we're, we're still below the cap here.
1: I think I emerged bloodied from that one. <laughs> was...
2: Your your berserker armor shinked open. <laughs> yeah, reveal Just... you coughing up blood. That's right. And then have to go make dinner. <laughs>
1: that actually <laughs> is the. That's the real punishment. That's the struggle is having to (laughs) make dinner after. Um, All right. Well, that was episode 13. That means the next episode on this notepad file here is episode 14, which means we are going to be finishing off volume 30, going through into volume 32. That's chapter 264 to 285. That is divine revelation to hero. I wish I could speak French well enough to also do it in French and make it like a Canadian uh, train announcement. Wow. That is we've... divine revelation to hero. Post service en français. Press 2.
2: I, f- I feel we've reached the point of mental oblivion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh. You're doing yeah. a robot voice. Yeah, that was my uh, having to call about your license renewal or something voice. <laughs> um, okay, this is Superculture Review, which means this is Superculture Network, which means that you should go to Bullet Points and our Patreon. You should put money in it. That would be helpful. You should go to Heterotopias. You should buy Issues. Uh be... There probably will be a new issue out.
2: I'm pretty sure by the time this episode comes out, there will be a new issue out
1: of Heterotopias. Unless I so buy that, fuck it up, right? Yeah, but f- read, read, falling asleep. If it doesn't come out by the this...
2: entire Heterotopias team is here on this podcast. That's right. And we cannot tell you when the next issue is. When <laughs> we hope <laughs> that it is indeed out now. If so, buy it and read it, please. It's a good one. That's right.
1: It... it is. Yeah. It's about power, which has something to do with Berserk. You should also buy and play Citizen Sleeper, which, is that still on Game Pass? People at Game It Pass. is still
2: on Game Pass. It will still be on Game Pass. Okay. And there will be at least one. There will be one episode of DLC out for it already as well. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so you can play that too. I feel like mentioning Game Pass, I felt like a Microsoft shill. Yeah. Um, what a time to be alive. What a time. Um... And listen to Bad End. Uh, Also, go check out the Superculture YouTube channel, which was formerly the Bad End YouTube channel, but uh, Josh Calixto of Bad End has been uh, putting up some video essays, which is really neat. And also, go check out Funland. And I think that is everything. I think that's all of the Superculture stuff I should mention.
2: All, All of the internet.
1: That's right. Also, go listen and follow Blake Hester, who did our theme song, and Artyom, uh Trakanov, who did our art. And yeah. That's the real art. end. That is the actual end.
2: Hey, you know, also, I should mention that I did write a piece about Berserk in Lock On Four, um, which is already crowdfunded by now, but you probably, maybe you'll be able to buy it when this podcast comes out. I'm not mentioning it in a very timely way. But I wrote a whole piece about Berserk, and it has a great piece of art with it showing guts looking sick. And um. Um, it's about the influence of Berserk on From Software games, surprise, surprise. And it's about more than just the fact that you can open a random page of Berserk and find a From Software reference. <laughs> it's about more than just the visual. Um, so go read that in Lock On Four. Is it, is
1: it about implications? It's about... Do you ever talk about implications when you write something? It's it's about
2: themes. Themes? It's about
1: themes. It's about power. Of course it's about power. It's all about power. It's all about power. That's what they say. That's the motto. (laughs) Idea of evil. It's all about power. (laughs) Um, Thank you for listening. I'm glad you showed that one out. It seems to me like that may be something that people listening to this podcast series would enjoy i can only imagine can only imagine uh yeah so that's gonna do it gareth uh don't succumb to the raging ceaseless flow of odd i won't i will aspire to being
2: a fish which breaks the surface of the water